Welcome, everybody, to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football podcast brought to you by the Amador Whiskey Company. I'm your co-host, Jeffrey the Greek, joined, as always, by... This is Big Kurt here. Big Kurt, you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. I'm Big Kurt on Twitter at B1GKURT. And I am Jeffrey the Greek at Jeffrey the Greek. Thank you so much for listening and downloading the podcast, as usual, when our audio seems a little bit different than what it is. That means we got some special situations going on. That special situation is on a screen right now. His name's Dustin Schutte with Saturday Tradition. Dustin, DS, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. It's always a great day to be on the Eyes on Big podcast. How are you guys? Doing great. In fact, the Eyes on Big podcast cup runneth over right now. <laughs> Didn't we just have you as a guest recently? It seems like yesterday, but it's, it's still been too long, to be quite honest. Yeah. And you know what? I, I don't think I would put it past us to get you on before the football season starts again. Who knows? It, it, it could happen like that. As long as we're sharing conversation with the Big Ten and drinking a little bourbon, then I'm, I'm good with it. You beat me to it. So what, uh, what you drinking tonight? I am drinking a rye whiskey. It's a local distiller here in Kennesaw, Georgia. It's like two blocks from my house, which is not good for my wallet nor my liver, but it's really good on the lips. So nice. uh, it's called Lazy Guy Rye Whiskey. It's got kind of like a, a coffee, dark chocolate spice. So to me, it's a little bit sweeter, but it's still really good. Wow, that sounds that sounds fantastic. We're doing. Uh, we had a we had a little bit of wine with. Uh, I made some uh, burgers earlier. Um, now I'm into the old fashions, but I'm actually using Kurt's favorite bullet to make the old fashions. Yeah, oh, nice. nothing nothing wrong with bullet. No, bullet's a quality. It's a quality product, especially when it's mixed with sugar and bitters and other things. It's more the value <laughs> with <laughs> bullet that you're yeah. getting. All right, so what we got here is the rankings pod. So I'll just give you a quick outline, uh, meaning you, meaning the listeners. Uh, so we are going to we're going to rank a bunch of stuff. All right, we are the first thing we're going to rank is the top three food or food situations that we like that other people seem to hate, and then the next one will be the top three foods or food situations that we hate that other people seem to like. So we each got three of those. That that would be, if I, if I believe I'm correct, six, 12, 18 things that we're listing. Then right after that, we will get into the, uh, the, the big coaches ranking portion of the podcast. This is kind of the meat of the podcast. So for this one, all three of us gave our coaches rankings. They were similar, but not the exact same. Then we took the average or the aggregate. I don't know if the, you're, you're more of a statistician than me, but let's call it average. Okay. So 14 to one on, on our three picks together. So DS obviously does a great job of being the tiebreaker with that. Uh, so when I, I will announce the coach 14 to one DS will go first with his first thoughts, Kurt second, then I will finish it up and then go on to the next coach. And then the last thing we'll kind of rank or mention is uh we'll kind of combine the two and we will list a non big 10 coach that we either like or dislike more than what the general population is. Yeah. Pretty good. All right. First things first though, uh, we've got, you know, a couple things we got to talk about. This is the eyes on big podcast. And there seems to be some, some peakers that look a little different across the big 10 landscape right now, which is, uh, PJ Fleck. Okay, so first of all, the first time 
I saw this on Twitter. And by the way, we're talking about the odd situation that's going on with PJ Fleck where he just doesn't look the same. That's fair to say, right? It doesn't look like PJ Fleck. Let's be honest. It yeah. looks like a different person. And the first time I saw the speculation was back. I looked it up in my phone. It was back in January. It was late January. And there was some already rumblings on Twitter. The, the, so somebody finally did ask him the question on like a zoom call. Okay. I didn't, I didn't know this. Yeah. And so this is your first reaction to hear this. this. Is my first okay. Th- I, I should have, I should have written it out, but this, this will be your, your, your gut reaction to this. What PJ's explanation was, was that it was a summertime boating accident about two years ago where a bungee cord slung back and hit him in the face. And he finally had corrective surgery to fix the damage that happened. Okay. So he got cosmetic surgery and then said, what is the most recent thing I could think of that affected this area that I could blame it on? So you're not buying it. Not for a second. Yes. Yeah. That's uh, look, when I first saw it in January, I thought it was a joke. Like I thought somebody thought they kind of looked like PJ Fleck and it was like a joke going around Twitter. And then it got, you saw more of those photos and it seemed to be less like a joke. And then I heard the explanation and I'm like, okay, first of all, number one, what kind of bungee cord that hits you smack in the face, like doesn't completely break your face. I feel like that would have been a newsworthy story. And then like number two, I I just, I don't buy it at all. It, It seems like what Kurt said, like, it's just, what can I blame this on? And like he got a, a completely new face. It wasn't just the eyes. It's he looks like a completely different person. Can I add? If you injure one eye, why would you need to correct both eyes? It just does. It just doesn't smash. It does. It doesn't pass the smell test. I I, don't, I haven't seen anybody buy it. I and the thing is, is like I. So I slipped this in in a podcast. I think it was either late January, or early February, where we were talking about Minnesota, and I'm like, it's something to keep your eye on and, it, and i don't know if anybody got it or not so like i said we've seen it for a while i didn't bring it up because it's a little bit personal and also like you can tell i mean honestly gopher fans don't want to talk about it because i think if you could dream up the professions where getting cosmetic surgery is not appropriate for lack of a better term wouldn't college football coach be right at the tippy top yes it's odd, but here it is. And I, I don't know what he feels. First of all, he probably, he must've taken some lessons from politicians to, to come up with that excuse, but the, he's not a bad looking guy. He's got a look about him. What he do does. you feel like you need to correct there? I don't, I, that is, that PJ? would, that is a great, I mean, that's yeah. like, he was already, I, I'm almost positive. He's the youngest coach in the big 10. He's a little bit, he's younger than Fitzy. What about Ryan Day? Is he younger than Ryan Day? They'd be close. Long yeah. story short, you didn't look at Peach and say, ooh, an unpleasant looking man. We need to help him out with the looks department to help out in recruiting. PJ, you're a handsome man. You don't need to do this. I don't know. What I, anything, you got anything else to add there, Diaz? I was going to say, I think you can say was a handsome man. I mean, I don't know what the, the verdict might still be out right now. Um it's I maybe there were some decisions made within that household. I don't know. I don't want to speculate too much. Yeah, my joke was that uh, Heather was not meeting her requirements at the Edina Plastic Surgery Company, so that they, they had to get in, get something in, otherwise they were going to lose their status. I think something like that. Going to lose their discount. 
uh, staying in Minnesota for not so pleasant things. Running back Bucky Irving, who, because they were down to their third and fourth string running back last year, exploded onto the scene, was amazing. Announced just, just today, just a couple hours ago, that he's in the transfer portal. I hate this. I hate all of this. Yes. Yeah, I mean, what's that like three now? Cam Wiley, Kai Thomas, uh, Bucky Irving. Like I you thought Minnesota, I think they're still fine in the backfield. I think that he probably saw the writing on the wall that he'd be a third string running back. But I mean, I'm to the point too with the transfer portal. Like we've got to we've got to come up with some sort of rule here to try to stop this because a lot of kids are not making, I don't think they're making good decisions. And I think that's getting lost in a lot of this where Everybody wants to say, give the kids more freedom to, and more flexibility uh, to be able to do what they want. And uh, I think more times than not, a lot of these kids are getting hurt by their decisions. Um, so, I mean, it sucks for Minnesota on the football stand side, but I'm, I'm getting tired of writing these stories too, because we get it. It's every day, man. It's every day. I got an idea. I just came up with it right now. Transfer anywhere you want, set out one year. What do you say? Yeah. Should we do that? Isn't that crazy? Here's the, th- here's the thing that's the craziest about it for me is he's third string to two guys that got injured last year. And or and or and one guy's gone. I mean, he's gone after next year for sure. Yeah. Okay. Like he's gonna be right, you know, like there's a very good chance he's gonna play a lot next year. There's almost a certainty he's gonna play the year after that. And and like you don't make the assumption that wherever you're going next even if you're the starter is going to be better there. You could very plausibly make the argument that you'd be better off being a backup in some places than being a starter in others. And I mean, running behind that system and they, and, and track is coming back in. They don't shy away from run the ball. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. And, and let's be honest, Marquis serving very good talent, but it's not like he's a prototype NFL guy where, Look, I, I need to show out right now so I can get the NFL. Let, let yourself develop. You're yeah. not going to put mileage on your tires and, and take advantage of your opportunity when it comes. I don't know. Well, one thing I'd like to add to that, too, when it comes to his specific cases, look at where Mohamed Ibrahim started. He was the scout player of the year. He's sticking around for a sixth year. He'll be in the NFL. I'm not, I don't know that he'll be a good NFL running back because of some of the injury issues. But, like, it's been a short amount of time. But I think P.J. Fleck has shown – that's in that staff has shown they can develop NFL talent. You're taking a bit, in my opinion, you're taking a big risk by the next place you go, because Minnesota has got a good thing going when it comes to the NFL draft right now. I, I, I think it's a huge risk, not just for his college career, but potentially for his NFL future. And, and I just want to be clear, like, obviously Bucky Irving has got to have ownership in this. He's not 14 years old. Okay. But like, I honestly blame the system more than I do Bucky Irving. Is that fair? Yeah. And one thing we should probably mention is we don't know, maybe there's some personal things going on. Maybe this is beyond football. So that's my disclaimer. That is a good disclaimer. Speaking of disclaimer. Now I don't know this dust DS. Maybe you can announce this, but there was a big famous recruit signing that just happened. Yeah, it happened earlier this week. It was um, Declan McMahon, the son of the famous or infamous, or the grandson, excuse me, Vince McMahon of WWE and the what second, third running of the XFL. Uh, his son has committed, or his grandson has committed to Indiana University. And I feel like that's really um, appropriate considering that Indiana plays at a stadium they, they term the Rock 
And obviously you've had a lot of success in the WWE with The Rock. So I don't know if there's any sort of correlation there, but that was kind of, you know, one of the first things that popped into my mind. And what so I was thinking is of all the coaches in the Big Ten that I could see putting face paint on and throwing somebody <laughs> out of a ring, Tommy Allen be yeah. right at the top. He'd be tough in a cage match. <laughs> well, you guys talked about uh, like a what, what's it called when all the wrestlers go into one um, uh, Royal Rumble? Who would survive? Like maybe oh, yeah, this gives did. Tom Allen a little bit more credibility now. We yeah. did. We did have an episode where we did that. That's so right. obviously, I mean, the whole world revolves around the eyes on big podcasts. He must have listened to the podcast and <laughs> seeked out some WWF blood to try to help his status out a little bit. I think it's that simple. <laughs> it's <laughs> obvious. <laughs> well, anyways, good luck to uh, to Mr. McMahon. Um, I guess last thing we could probably add on is just. It's been fun watching the Masters the last couple of days. Um, I don't know if you guys heard, but Tiger Woods is actually playing in this tournament. I no, I had not heard mention of that. I well, I watched the Masters coverage all last night. They didn't mention that. <laughs> DS. I mean, it's isn't it fantastic? Not only did he uh, is he playing, he made the cut. He had a yeah. phenomenal first day. I mean, just the just the fact that he was in Augusta uh, just to be in the tournament. It didn't matter if he shot. 36 over through, you know, 36 holes, like just being there was an incredible accomplishment. Like I know we're making a big deal out of it, but it's a big freaking deal. Like, it is a big freaking uh, deal. They should try not talking from- about anybody, but tiger. Cause that's how much coverage he deserves right now. But I mean, I tell you what, the thing is, is I believe if, even if you ask a lot of PGA tour guys, they're okay with it because they realize how many eyeballs and money he brought to the PGA tour when he hit it big 20. Oh, it's a, it's a deal. And then the other thing I thought about too, is like when you compare tiger to any boyhood hero athlete, okay. Michael Jordan. Oh, I'm sorry. Diaz. Michael Jordan, Walter Payton, you know, like uh, John, Elway, whatever, um, you know, typically speaking, they have a finite career. That's like 12 years or so. Um, there are dudes that are, you know, in their mid thirties now that have been cheering for tiger woods since they were before middle school. Like that's the cool thing about golf is a career like that can last so long. And I think that's why tiger and tiger so huge. And then, you know, he's had some, he's had some ups and downs. So you kind of feel like you go through that stuff with them too. I don't know. It's a heck of a story. And don't you feel like, in my opinion, that, like, like, that makes him more human to me. Like, he's not this um, – he, he doesn't do everything by the book. He kind of does it his own way. Like, I feel like it makes him more relatable than maybe he was even, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. Like, he just seems so invincible and inhuman. And then all that stuff happened for this, you know, this past decade. He's had ups and downs, like you said. And it just makes him more of a, like, more of a human being. And I don't know, you guys could probably speak to this maybe more. Is there any professional athlete, maybe Michael Jordan is in this category, that took the sport to the kind of level that Tiger Woods took golf? Like, I don't think even Jordan did that with the NBA. No, I, I think that's a fair point because Bird and and uh, Magic right. had already brought the NBA up. And, and Jordan took it higher, but no, I, I off the top of my right. head, I can't think of anybody that, that has done what Tiger has done. Don't you remember 1921, what Babe did for Major League Baseball? <laughs> That's probably some truth to that. Yeah, pro- yeah, how probably- about how about Red Grange for college football? Well, for there you go. Well, that, he did more so for the NFL, really, than college. Okay. I mean, he put the NFL on the map. 
college was already huge. He probably made it more huge, but then him going to the bears really um, solidified the NFL as a, as a, um, as a league. And on a, on a podcast full list, we somehow just kind of just found our meandered our way into a list that we weren't even thinking about. How about that? Yeah. So we, should we get the list going here? We ready? Let's go. All right. So DS, you're going to go ahead and start it off. So again, top three food or food situations that I like that other people seem to hate. So for this one, it could be a food, an individual food, but it could be a food situation, maybe something that you see happen a lot at a restaurant or when you're at people's houses, whatever, have fun with it. DS, you're first up. Go ahead. I'm going to admit that my list of things I like is going to be relatively boring. Um, so just wait until we get to the dislike list. But uh, number one, this is mainly for Kurt. Um, when I'm eating meatloaf, I am not a gravy person. I am a ketchup person. I don't know how popular that is, but I love to have ketchup with my meatloaf. No, I'm a ketchup guy. I love I, that. There are There is a finite amount of foods where ketchup is appropriate. Meatloaf is one of them. Right. Disagree. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Go ahead. Next one. Oh, I'm doing all three. My bad. Yep. Yep. Uh, so uh, number two, I have, um, and this is kind of uh, a two for here. I went snail at slash escargot, but I don't like oysters. I was on a cruise one time and they served escargot and I thought I would hate it, but I tried it. I actually liked it. Um, so I'm a big fan of that. And then my third one is, like I said, this is a boring list. I just went with gin, mostly because you guys don't drink it. Um, uh, big fan. Wow. I can drink it straight. Hendrix, Dutch Courage. Um, there's a new bottle I just got, Esme. I mean, I can drink that stuff out of the bottle, basically. Dude, I am, but nobody else seems to really agree with me on that. I, I am firmly on the opposite side. We are sitting down in the DAC, the Downstairs Athletic Club. What, what's that on the top shelf right there? Hendrix Gin. All yours. Whenever you make it here, it, it is it is yours to drink. I guarantee you I will not even barely look at that thing, let alone open it up before you get here. All good with me. I'll 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 get it finished before the end of the night. That would be impressive. All right, DS. All right, Dust or uh, Kurt, your turn. Dustin, I had exactly one gin hangover in my lifetime. <laughs> one. I didn't need to go for number two. I have not touched it since then. Okay, so I, these are probably going to be a little yeah, quirky. Okay. You know, yeah. as you would expect from me. I like when things don't have sweeteners in them. Like, um, like you know, a, a nice tea. I don't want a sweet, I don't want, to, I don't want sugar in it, but I don't want a sweetener either, like an artificial sweetener. I just want it to be the tea. No, it's good. I like that. Same thing with coffee. And, and But this goes to all kinds of things like why did you have to add sugar to this or why did it like it would be so much better without that no this is good i okay. wouldn't have thought okay. about it. it's fantastic okay another one this one i don't th i think i'm gonna lose you guys on this one leftovers they don't need to be heated up you just take them out of the fridge and you eat them and you shut up and you like it that you do it does I, to me oh, it doesn't boy. like don't get me so wrong gonna, so okay so using a food that ds talked about you're not going to heat up the leftover meatloaf no absolutely not Meatloaf is great cold. No, uh, no, yeah. no. Yeah, I don't, not. You did not, lose me on that one. Yeah, not picking up what you're putting I up. mean, cold pizza, fantastic. Cold pizza is great. But I. Yeah. this extends to most things. I'm not going to eat cold soup. I would heat the soup up. 
but almost everything else cold. So it's a, like a 90-10 thing. There, it's there a, are. Yeah, it's a 90-10. Let's say 90-10 split. I think I'm like 70-30 warm up. Okay. DS, th- give it a shot. I, What's your percentage? I would. Oh man, I would say I'm like 70-30 in heating it up. Me too. Yep, we're the same. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Like, yeah. a, let's say leftover hamburger from dinner last night. Cold. Just, just eat the damn thing. Hamburger too. Sure, hamburger. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. I feel like you're committing to the bit too hard here. Maybe no. No. Philly sandwich. There, eat the Philly sandwich. There, there are Boy, two hot. things I can eat cold, and it would be uh, pizza and surprisingly fried chicken is actually decent cold. yes dude cold fried chicken is yes. is the cat's pajamas there's no doubt about it's, it that's a great call ds yeah, yeah. love it and then lastly this is hard to find and maybe this is one of the reasons i don't eat a lot of sweets like i like a salted caramel because there's salt in the sweet right mm-hmm. so but i'm going to specify cookies i like i like cookies but if it has no salt in it it's not going to be a good cookie it has to be salty and sweet at the same yeah time. no doubt as I take a but, bite of the cookie. But I think most people would not agree with that. I think most people would be like, I just want it to be sugary. I think I think most people would be ignorant ignorant to the fact that pretty much every cookie has salt in it. They just don't realize. Right. Okay, but how many times have you have you bought a chocolate chip cookie, which is we can all agree, the best cookie in the world, and it has zero salt in it? I understand what you're saying. And it tastes terrible. Yeah. That's got some salt in it. Check that out. I think you're gonna like that. Okay, that's See, pretty good. That's huh? what I'm talking about. That's got good some cookie. salt. Good cookie. Look to the cookie. Look to the cookie. Look to the, cookie. Look All to right. the salty cookie. <laughs> All right. I, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm a little bit different from you guys because I'm going to list a couple things and situations that like, it's not so much that people hate them. I just don't think they like them as much as me and it irritates me. Okay. Or it matters as much. So I got one, I got an honorable mention and I'm kind of interested to see mostly DS's uh, uh, reaction. My honorable mention food is pickled herring. I love pickled herring. Does DS even know what pickled herring is? I don't think I do. I've never actually had it. For real? No, I have never tried it. Wow. Okay. So it will be interesting to see if there's any interactions on Twitter because pickled herring is not only a Midwestern thing, it's a German thing, which is, you know, actually my background. Uh, so that's interesting. So we're 0 for 2 for you to even ever tried pickled herring. Is it different than Ludafisk? It is different than Ludafisk, but it, it is in the same family where it, it is a scaly looking fish that's been pickled with onions. And then you put it in your mouth with the cheese and a cracker. Most people that eat it spit it out, but the ten percent of us that love it love it. God, now I want to try. I want to. I want to see Dustin try some. You should live video yourself trying uh, pickled herring for the first time. I will do that. I'm of German heritage too, and I've actually been to Germany, but I've still I've never heard of this. Okay, I'm, I will. I will try it sometime. Yeah, it's fantastic. Now, what kind of cheese are we talking about here? I would go with like a Havarti creamy type of cheese to, to, and it's very salty, the pickled herring. Uh, okay. Pick your cracker, whatever the cracker is, throw it down. You won't regret it. It's fantastic. Gotcha. All right. So now I get into my actual list. Now the first one here, it, just let me explain first. Okay. My number three food that I seem to like more is soup. Now I want to say, I think soup is very, popular i freaking love soup 
Nobody loves, maybe somebody loves soup as much as me. Nobody loves it more than me. You go out to a restaurant, business setting, whatever. I'm the only one that ever orders soup before the meal. I'm never going to turn down a soup. So I'm the king of ordering a sandwich, but asking if I can substitute the fry with soup, with the cup of soup. Very respectable. So I'm not saying I like it more than you. I'm not, that's not what I'm claiming. I'm just saying I like it a lot. How committed to soup are you, Diaz? I got to know. I'm a pretty big soup guy. Um, I don't, I feel like I, like I'm a terrible eater. I'm just bad at it. So like, I feel like I'm going to spill it. So I, if I go out to a restaurant, I'm not ordering the soup. I'm getting the salad. Uh, but if I, I can make some like a, a nice broccoli cheddar, a uh, nice chili, uh, lots of, I, I make a mean vegetable stew. Like I'm a big soup guy, I've, but I don't probably love it nearly as much as you do. So so is there something I'm missing here that people don't order soups in business settings because they're nervous for their performance while, while eating the soup? I've never thought about that. It that is 100% before. me. That's very enlightening. I've never thought about that. I, I guess I'm a confident soup eater is the thing. Maybe that's what it comes down to. It's all confidence. <laughs> all right, moving on. Kind of in the same uh, neighborhood as soup. Also, probably leans toward my Germanic background. Mustards. I'm always angry at the mustard offering that restaurants have that people have at their house. Like you go over, and, and that's what you get. You got a you got a boring old yellow del. Like give me some mustard on. I I, I want you know, stone ground mustard. I, I want like a really crazy German mustard. Did I not have four mustard uh, uh, offerings for us tonight? Confirmed. You're looking for a potpourri of mustards. Yes. Okay. And, and it, I'm not saying you have to have seven, but two is the minimum. I, I, I can't go with just one yellow mustard. How about a mustard menagerie? That sounds fantastic. <laughs> Let's do a taste testing with a We'll just call it the mustard menagerie and just taste mustards. Uh, where are you at in the mustard scale, Diaz? Uh, I love mustard. I love different types of mustard, but I'm a different, like if I'm having a cold cut sandwich, it's got to be yellow mustard. If I'm having like a, a soft Bavarian pretzel, I want like mustard, mayo, horseradish type of mustard. Bingo. Okay? It depends on what I'm eating, but I'm a big mustard guy. So I wouldn't pretend to know what mustard you want to mix with what. So I'm going to offer three or four to match. I have a better, higher percentage to match your mustard take with whatever food I'm, 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 I'm delivering for people. Yes. And by the way, is there a better vehicle for mustard into your body than a Bavarian pretzel? It's up I there. I don't think so. I think it's the best. As long as it's warm yeah. and oh, great. I mean, it's got to be a quality pretzel. It has to be the highest quality. All right. My last one. Also kind of in the temperature thing, I guess. Going to a restaurant, nice restaurant. So I'm not talking to your neighborhood watering hole because I'm not going to order wine there. But when I go to a nice restaurant and they order the wine or, or they deliver the wine at room temperature or even warmer because they store the wine like near the kitchen where like it heats it up. You, you can't serve red wine over 60 degrees and, and you you'll get it sometimes and it's like it's pushing 80 it's disgusting class your shit up if you're gonna be a nice place pay attention to how wine people want their wine send it out with the right temperature on it uh, okay and so i don't like sending things back but if you're at a nice joint and they serve you an 80 degree glass wine, you send that thing back so you're okay with that, that no doubt about it absolutely 
The only bottle of wine I've ever sent back was like, it's spoiled. But now that you've given me the, the confidence to send back warm, I'm going to do it. I mean, I, how much? I, what are we talking about? What are we spending on this bottle of wine here? It's like going to be a hundred bucks. You're going to have it's always. Oh my god! If you're spending your hundred bucks, you better send that thing back. Okay, but let me ask you this, DS. I don't even know if you're a wine drinker, but like, how aware are you that even like everybody knows white wine is supposed to be cold? That that. But did you know that red wine is supposed to be like ten degrees below room temperature at least? So. Yes and no. I didn't know the exact temperature of what it's supposed to be served, but what I've read is that the worst thing to, well, maybe not the worst thing, but to put it in the refrigerator for hours is not a good idea. What I've heard is like in the wintertime, set it outside for like 15 to 20 minutes. And then it, by that time, it usually gets to the That's temperature it. it needs to be. That's so it. I, I was aware, and now I, I'm more cognizant of that, like not that this is a uh, food show, but I'll put it in the refrigerator and I'll like set the timer if I'm having a nice steak or, you know, making a certain meal. Good. I put the timer for a uh, wine and I don't know if it gets to the right temperature, but it's not, it's certainly not spoiled. I'm not saying it has to be exactly 56 degrees or right. whatever, but, but it, it's supposed to be a little bit cooler than the air around you. Okay. Now I'm fixing on this a little bit. You go to Applebee's, you're a 20 bottle. $20 yeah. bottle of wine. Fine. Whatever. Yeah. However it comes Whatever. up. Yep. It's just here to get me drunk. If you're going somewhere and spending 30 or more dollars on a bottle, it better be the right temperature. And I, I think it rarely is. That's weird. I don't know. I'm not a wine guy. I'll get it every now and then. Not rare. Not rarely. Just not enough. Wow. I almost didn't include this. This this wound up being our, our hottest button topic. I, I mean, I'm getting fired up. I want to go out and order a bottle of wine see how it goes. just to send it back. <laughs> I would be I would be inspired if you do that. That would that would that would take our podcast relationship to a whole other level. I think. Hey, I'll bring a calibrated thermometer. <laughs> and we're, we're going, baby. Seriously, I don't think anybody's ever done that before. Has that happened? It's gonna. Be, it's, it's gonna. If it hasn't been done, it's getting done. I was gonna mention this that my uncle works at a hotel in Las Vegas. And he walks around with a thermometer to make sure that like the buffet, the, at the buffet, the salad, yeah. the, the tin that the salad is in, he carries around a thermometer to make sure it's at exactly whatever degrees it's supposed to be in. And when you said the wine's supposed to be at 55 degrees, I imagined you pulling out a thermometer, dipping it into the wine glass, and then like showing the Mater D or whatever, hey, this is 70 degrees, take that shit back. Okay, that's fit. But before we move on, just in case anybody destroys me on Twitter, I don't know the exact temperature that a red wine is supposed to be at. I think it's around 55 degrees. Well, so I've... so if it winds up being 52 or 57, don't rip me a new asshole. I'm just saying that the general thing that I'm trying to get at is cooler than the room that you're in. Well, okay. cellar temperature, isn't that what it's supposed yeah, to be? There yeah, there you go. Cellar yeah, temperature. Which is like what old school beer was served at. Okay. Before refrigeration. Hmm. I like that. And if you go to right kind of joint, you can still get cellar temperature beer, which is really damn good. Oh, that and that I got that in Europe when I was in it. Yes, tasted, yes. It you, just tastes better. And anywhere in England, you can always get um, real ale is what it's called. Yeah. Like at cellar temperature. It's fantastic. I'm drinking right now and this makes me want to drink more. It's crazy. OK. All right. So we got to move on. Otherwise, we're going to be here forever. Top three food or food situations that I hate or dislike more than what seemingly the general population does ds up? go for it okay i'm gonna say this first one because it requires just a small backstory and then the next two i might be banished from this podcast for eternity so that's why i'm gonna start with this one 
number one, anybody that knows me really well, like I don't like when people watch me and that includes like on the golf course, if I'm just sitting writing, whatever, I don't like big social situations. I'm awkward. I'm bashful at first. Um, so I hate it. So I really hate when you're at a nice restaurant, like I was in St. at St. Elmo's in Indianapolis just a few weeks ago, got a nice steak. I hate when the waiter is watching you and is like, would you please cut into that steak and make sure the temperature is okay. I feel like I get the yips and like, I can't cut the steak properly. I'm there way too long. It makes me anxious. I hate every second of it. I feel like most people would like that because, hey, if it's not cooked properly, I can send it back right away, right? Um, I don't have to flag down the waiter. I would rather wait an extra 10 or 15 minutes to, to send my steak back than, or eat it the way it's cooked than to have him stand over me and watch me cut into it. So what I'm getting is a little bit of performance issues. And what, I, yeah. what I'd like to do is to go to a Cubs game with DS in the big trough urinals great great and he just pulls his member out and i'm just gonna i'm just gonna stare stare over at him see if see if he can get the st string string going okay so I, i'm so, just gonna tell you right now that it's not gonna happen for me i've been in that situation before <laughs> i've been to Wrigley field it is a painful experience okay so just to clarify you don't like people watching you so you got into media <laughs> hey I'm like, you know, in like seventh or eighth grade, when you're in speech class and you just hide behind the podium, like this is, this is my podium. I'm on radio. There's always something like, there's some sort of barrier for me. I understand it's hypocritical, but for whatever reason, that's just the way I'm wired. I can't, I can't, I love to play golf, but I will not go and play and like join a, a, a foursome of people I don't know. I can't do it. I will, I'm going to shoot 137. You wouldn't do well in a swingers club. <laughs> I would also not do well in that either. No. Okay. We got to um, get this back on. <laughs> All right. Number two, number two, number two, I'm a big fruit guy. Love fruit. I hate fruit pies. Um, oh, yeah. The huh. only thing I will eat that's considered a fruit pie would be like a key lime pie. I love key lime, but love apples, hate apple pie. Um, I, I don't know what else to say. I just hate no, fruit I, pie. Honestly, like, that's a really good point. Like, I feel like when you cook fruit, it cooks out some yes. of the goodness of it. And then I don't know what happens to apples when you warm them up. Not nearly as, so I'm, I'm, I'm actually like, cause what I have to do is whenever there's a fruit pie, you have to dress it up with so much crap. You look back and you're like, it's, it's not even, it's what it was when it came out of the oven. Anymore. That's actually a really good point. I, I'm very impressed by that. It's solid. I'm not going to disagree. Yeah. I thought for sure that would be one that because I don't uh, like I said I love I'll eat just about any type of fruit you throw my way but when if it's turned into a pie there's a 99% chance I'm passing on it. All right. And then last is um, you know I am not a big tequila drinker. I don't like margaritas and I know you just made a buttload of perfect margaritas when you're on the beach, Greek. So I feel like that was the, the big one that was going to get me banished. I will drink a lot of different alcohols: bourbon, gin, beer, wine. I cannot do tequila. I will not drink a margarita. Did you have a negative tequila moment that, no? So you, no, so I've you, never drink, had a, you drink tequila. No, I don't drink tequila. I, okay. I don't like the taste of tequila and I don't like margaritas. I've never had a negative experience. I've had real margaritas in Mexico. Um, 
I've had, I've tried it multiple times, frozen, um, on the rocks. I, I just can't get into tequila or margaritas, but hmm. that's All what right. everybody drinks. No. So. Those aren't cancelable takes. I get you. Yeah, I like a good rock Rita, though. Okay, you guys, you knew I was going to start with mayo, right? Yeah. In some capacity. <laughs> well, mayo is going to be. But, but I mean, it's going to, this is going to be a nuanced, layered mayo take. It's not that I hate mayo. Everyone knows that. It's that you can go somewhere, like let's say I'm ordering a sandwich, and they have a menu board, and it lists every single item on the sandwich. Lettuce, yeah, uh, turkey, uh, tomato, onion, mustard, whatever. Doesn't say mayo. So, okay, that that's a safe sandwich to order. I order the sandwich. What does it have on it? It has mayo. Why didn't you list it there? Well, we put mayo on all of our sandwiches. Well, then say that. Oh, no, it says that in the really small print. Um, you see the asterisk down there in the tiny print? All sandwiches come with mayo. Okay, another one. Okay, it, it doesn't list what's on it. So what's on the sandwich? And they list everything that's on the sandwich. But they literally they, don't list They mayo. don't say mayo. That's so true. you order it, and guess what's on it? Frickin' mayo. Okay, another one. Hey, is there mayo on that item? No, there's no mayo on that item. It shows up. Aioli is on it. Yeah, and you don't. go, uh, do you know what aioli is made of? And they go, well, it's made out of mayo. I know that. And then they just like blink because they realize what's just happened. Here. <laughs> like, See, I was going to say, I didn't even think a high percentage of your standard servers would even understand that mayo and aioli are the same thing. They know yeah. after you ask the question. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Um, and by the way, ketchup same deal with ketchup but not to the same degree and i'd like to point out just because i have to get my digs in on ketchup that frank sinatra said ketchup was an insult to the tomato and he was right okay <laughs> that con- blue eyes that concludes item one item two you're a soup guy you're a soup guy i'm a soup guy why does the soup have to come out at 211 degrees oh. fahrenheit okay can i say why does it have to come out at 211 or 60. Thank you. Okay. It's never, yes. it's never where it needs to be. Okay. Okay. Now hold on. So when it comes out at 211 degrees, just shy of boiling, right? What is the first thing you do? You sit there and you watch the soup for a half hour before you eat it. I don't want to eat the soup in a half hour. I ordered it now. I want to eat it now. This is, this is the meal you eat to get yourself hungry before the meal. And by the way, you can, same thing with coffee, tea, anything else. Yeah. Like, why would you serve it scalding hot? It makes no sense because I'm just going to sit there and wait. But I'm going to say if I have to take the decision, if I've only got two doors and it's the 211 degree door or the 60 degree door, I'm taking the 211 degree door because at least it's going to come back to my temperature that I wanted at. I don't know. Okay, yeah. so maybe they're just being safe. Maybe I should be more sympathetic. I don't know. It's yeah. annoyance for me. And of course, I got to work bourbon in some way. You go to a bar, you order a bourbon neat and they look at you. Like you, like you're bleeding out of your eyeballs. What? Neat. Do you mean straight up? And I say, well, there's no such thing as straight up, but there's an up. I don't want it up. I want it neat. So you just can, want- I, just, can I just say yeah. I've been there with Kurt before while he's had this interchange with a bartender, so I know it happens. And so then they're like, oh, you mean up? And I go, no, I mean neat. Grab a glass, turn the bottle upside down, and put the bourbon in the glass. That's it. That's the whole order. And it's not called up and it's not called straight up. Up is chilled and strained. And there's no such thing as straight up. It's just up. Yeah. That's just an FYI for all you non-bartenders out there. I've attended bar before. Took I passed the 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 bar exam, not the, the law bar exam <laughs> in the state of Illinois, but I was a licensed bartender in the state of Illinois. Can 
Can I just add to that a little bit in that this was on my, uh, I guess, honorable mention list in that it really drives me nuts. If I say I want a gin and tonic or an old fashioned and I, a lot of times I've gotten better about this, but sometimes I forget to mention the brand. I, it should be required that they ask what you want, because there was one time when I paid $12 for a beef eater gin and tonic, and I could have made it for $2.99 at my house. At least, I, I, unless you order the house old fashioned or gin and tonic, they typically have a deal that they have going with whatever that bourbon or gin is. So it's baked into the cake. But I agree if you just order one straight up, they should ask. Yeah, 100%. Right. Since we've talked so much about soup, one last one. It's all, it's, it's insane how often you ask for soup before your meal and they just forget it. That's another soup thing. They just, they just forget. The meal comes like, oh, didn't get my soup. I don't know, 40% of the time that happens. All right. Okay. Last one, then we're done. I sure hope people are finding this entertaining because otherwise people are just like, what in the hell am I listening to right now? What's that sound? It's the sound of podcasts turning <laughs> off. I'm having fun. I didn't. All right. Uh, okay. Number three for me, things that I dislike that see- other people seem to love. Raw onions. Like raw onion on a burger raw onions on a salad if i if you put a high amount of raw onions in a salad i'm no longer eating a garden salad i mean in an onion salad it is the only thing i can taste i can't believe people actually want that insane to me okay i i personally love onions but you have convinced me at least on the salad front that they over onion salads fair enough they absolutely do now a nice thick red onion on a burger can't even be too much for me can't it's not even possible so that's in the same boat for it's like kind of the same thing for me it's just now it's now i'm not eating a burger anymore and i'm 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 eating an onion burger ds got got anything to add there i like like i like a thin, a thin red onion in my salad and on my burger, but anything more than that, like I, I can't do it. I'm with you on that. So if I do something at home with onions, essentially I emulsify them and like cook them to, till they're basically, so I can still get the onion, but now I can digest it. So I'm not burping it up for 72 hours. Cause that's what happens to me. Um, and then if I do have a raw onion, do you remember the scene in Goodfellas when they're cutting the uh, garlic with the razor blade? That's, Wasn't it Paulie yeah. that's doing that? Yeah. That's how thick I want my raw onion because I just get the, I get the hints. I, okay, all right. Number two. I hope this isn't another one of yours, by the way. Uh, but the same thing goes for peppers. Yes, absolutely, it does. Like so, so if you cook with peppers, you, you like I've got a food processor, which means it basically turns it into paste and then you cook it up you still get the flavor but you're not digesting it for three days right nice yeah thanks for actually thank you for including peppers which is why i was surprised today you said you have eaten a whole raw japolino before you even got to my house today uh well half of it was raw half of it was cooked i put half in an omelet this morning the other half was raw in guacamole really but i mean on an average day i would say one jalapeno DS, where are you at in the jalapeno scale? Okay, if it's it's got to be the same pretty much as an onion. I like I if I mince it up, I'll put it in my guacamole too. Um, and I do put I'll put it in an omelet. Like I make a spinach egg omelet um, and include that in there. But like I, as far as just like eating jalapeno bites, I couldn't do that. No, can't do that. Okay, all right. Where am I at? Number I'm I'm not even to number two yet. Okay, number two. 
fried food. I can't eat fried food anymore. Um, I think it never agreed with me, but somewhere around age 35, I was like, oh, I, I just hate fried food. It, it, it I, I burp it up like, and, and I love fried chicken. Like getting Kentucky fried chicken, this will probably give you a glimpse of, you know, growing up on a farm and we didn't get out much, but like going to KFC was amazing, you know, but like over time, like harshly fried food, Am I alone or, or is that belch central for, for you guys? Cause I can't do it anymore. Well, I, I think age plays into it. Yeah. At this point, I, I'm rarely satisfied. I'm usually unsatisfied after eating fried food. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I'm the, I'm, I'm not, I, I can eat it in moderation. Like it's like a once a week thing for me. I'm getting okay. to the point where like, I, if I eat it, I'm hungry an hour and a half later. Yes. Yes. Which you, Kurt just kind of said, like, I, I, I mean, it's once, maybe once a month that I eat fast food, like fast food, by the way, just, I mean, I could put that on this list here. I can't, I can't deal with it anymore. If I do go fast food, never get French fries. I bet you I've eaten a handful of French fries in the past year, calendar year. I just, I, I can't do it anymore. Even though I love the taste of French fries. Okay. Last one. So for this last one, my number one, I want to give a shout out to Cap'n Kirk. C-A-P apostrophe N Kirk at Hawkeye Kirk, because he actually put this out there. I think it was a thread that you were involved with DS. I can't remember, but, but this would have been on my list, but I give him credit for, for, uh, 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 you know, getting it into my head to get it on here. IPA beers or EPA beers, whatever pale ale. It's, it's just a hoppy headache mess. It, it also something that I got to like my late twenties and I'm like, and it, 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 the first IPA beer I remember in Minnesota, I don't know if you guys, I mean, this would be probably before DS's time, but it was summit summit IPA first, first well, IPA. And I, and I drank it and I'm like, this is fantastic. It was, it was actually the EPA. It, so that was an EPA. Yeah. Okay. And I've tried it. EPA, IPA. There is a, the, uh, I don't want to name it, but there's a, a German place, uh, beer place uh, in the, down in the Valley in Golden Valley. Yeah, sure. So I go there finally. First, I've driven by a thousand times, go there, walk in, and they've got this beer list that's as, as long as your arm. It's all IPAs, no Pilsners, one Pilsner, one single Pilsner, like two stouts. If you're, if you fancy yourself, an amazing beer selection place. If you have 100 beers, but 92 of them are EPAs and IPAs, you ain't that freaking cool. You just have a lot of EPAs and IPAs. Okay, I totally agree. With, I like IPAs, or at least I don't like them like I used to, but okay, 10 years ago, it was the same problem, but it was all wheat beers. That was that was the thing. It was a wheat beer. You look at a, a, a lineup of taps. Six would be wheat beers. They'd have an IPA and then a you know a Bud Light or a Miller Light. Now it's now it's all IPA. So I I am fully on board with that. IPAs are totally overdone. Completely too many of them. Yeah, there's too, too many. many. Yes, there probably there probably are too many, but I love them. Um, I'm a big fan of IPAs. The one thing that always gets me though, is, is my friends are not big IPA people. And, uh, when we go out, the funniest thing to me is the bartender, you know, they'll say, do you not have an IPA or then bartender might recommend an IPA. And my friends will say, I'm not a big IPA guy. And 90 times, 99 times out of hundred, the bartender's response is, well, it's not like your typical IPA. 
it is 100% like your typical IPA. There's no, like, thank, I don't know thank, why thank people you. make that. I don't know why bartenders and waitresses say that, but it's 100, per, it's 99% of the response. And 100% of the time, it's always like an IPA. If you don't like it, you're not going to like it. But okay. And then this is where somebody is going to probably educate me because the way I understand it is certainly IPAs. I think also EPAs, they're just easier beers to make. That's what well, I've they learned. Don't, they don't take as long. You don't have to lager them. Lagering takes a long time. Mm -hmm. You have to store it at cooler temperatures for extended periods. So it's for... Is Pilsner's the same way? Pilsner's a lager set. So you have to lager a Pilsner. So an ale, which, you know, I pay as an ale. So you just, you brew it. It takes a couple weeks. You bottle it. Boom. So it's a, it's a bigger moneymaker for a microbrewery. And that's it. It's money-based. Sure. Yeah. Okay. God. And, and, and I'll say this, like, there's some IPAs and EPAs where they taste good, but there is something with the, the only thing that gives me a better, bigger headache the next day more than an IPA is champagne because, and I, so that is ultimately what has crushed me is, is I don't know what in the fermenting process or the ingredients or whatever, but IPAs and EPAs just jackhammer my skull. Well, it's, it, it's the over hopping, the hoppy hoppiness just, like it, I, I don't drink them that much anymore. I used to love IPAs, but they just clog up your sinuses. Okay. Yes. Make, yes. That's what feel, happens. They make you feel like crap. And most people are a little I, bit allergic to them. Uh, go ahead, DS. I was going to say, I know you have to, I know we have to move on, uh, but I actually learned about this because there's a place right next to me. Every time I go over there, it doesn't matter what beer it is. I get a headache, like instant within like three or four sips. I instantly get a headache. Unfiltered beer. There's a chemical reaction with, with, in unfiltered beer that goes along with like a hangover. And so your body cannot, um, your body cannot handle that chemical that's in there. So it's not necessarily just IPAs. It's if it's an unfiltered IPA, it'll give you an immediate headache because it's, it has to do with that chemical reaction. I asked okay. one of the brewers around here and that's why. How are they pulling this off? So this is three for three. We all say we get an immediate headache from IPA. It's like Ikea selling furniture. And they're like, yeah, every time you sit down, it pokes you right in your butthole. And everybody keeps <laughs> buying it. And everybody keeps sitting on the couch. And they're like, oh, have you had that couch that you sit on? Yeah, but when I sit on the couch, it pokes me in the butthole. Well, yeah, that's that's part of the deal. I don't get it. Okay, I, I don't get a headache immediately drinking it. But if I have too many, I yes, I have a headache the next day. But then also IPAs are just one kind of ale. There's many kinds of ales. You don't have to make IPA all the time. You can make right. any number of dozens and dozens of different recipes of beers. Get, Guinness is technically an ale, correct? Yes. I've, Guinness with the nitro, no headache, zero. Well, it's it's low hop. It's like the, the flavor of Guinness is the roasty malt. I, I am... I'm anti-hop. I'm not happy. Guinness is a great beer. I'm not going to complain about it at all. Love Guinness. Should we keep going? Or should we just, should we make this a two-hour podcast before you even let's get to do, the food? Let's do three more likes and three more dislikes <laughs> from all of us. On the fly, go, DS. We could do it. We could pull it off, I bet. <laughs> all right, let's move on to the big coaches ranking portion of the podcast. So, again, we're going to go. Uh, 14 to one DS is going to start with his thoughts. Kurt's going to go after that and I will finish up. Um, I've got two thoughts. I think I'm going to save one thought until after. Um, but I think it's fair to preface this list and I I'm going to talk for all three of us, but I please chime in because I, th I think you guys will agree with me. There kind of seems to be 
a bottom two, then like three that are kind of together, then two at the top, and then a whole bunch of coaches in between the two at the top and those five at the bottom that could essentially be plausibly interchanged without a gigantic argument. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's very fair. Yeah. I'll, go, I'll take it a step further. For me personally, my top two are firm. My bottom two are firm. The Everything in between there is not really that far away. There's a pretty much everyone in between are all solid coaches. None of them bad. Um, but yeah, I think you, I think even in my rankings, I could divide those into a couple, at least two, maybe three categories. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think, and I mentioned this too, when we, we talked about it, like this is, this would be really difficult because I, to me, the top two or three were really easy. The bottom two were really easy. And then everything in between, I, I mean, it was, it was kind of a guessing game almost. And you know, I'm just going to go ahead and say the other one too, uh, which is, I believe, go figure, the conference reflects what I think about the coaches, which is there are quality coaches definitely all the way to 12. And I think you can honestly make the argument all the way through the conference. There is no bad coach in this conference. However, I don't know if we have an elite top of the top coach, Hall of Fame, you know, national champion. Is, is that fair or, or am I being, is that a, is that a big take? Well, I think when all is said and done, we could have a hall of famer here with Ryan day, but it's early in his tenure. Yeah. I think that's a good observation. Yeah. Honestly, you can go one through 14 and I don't think any of them are bad coaches, but by attrition, someone's got to lose every game. So coaches are going to fall off, even if they're solid coaches. So I guess don't take it too hard if your coach isn't, on the top. Half yeah. And, 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 and if you feel like we've slotted your coach too low, you're going to feel that way. And we, we appreciate that because you're a fan of, of that coach and you, and you're, what I would say is if you did your best to take away your biases, you would see that it gets tough to rank these coaches. And just like Kurt said, some, somebody has got to finish eighth, you know, or whatever. Good. Fair enough. Okay. All right. Let's get right into it. So again, 14 to one. So this is the master list. This is voted on three different people. Might as well start out with a bang at number 14, Nebraska's Scott Frost DS. Yeah. I mean, when you look across the board, um, he's the only coach I believe in the big 10 that hasn't been to a bowl game. They went three and nine. Uh, I think it basically speaks to what you said, Greek, in that um, this, to me, it shows how deep the conference is in the coaching category from top to bottom, because I don't think Scott Frost is a bad coach. I think there's just been some things that he's kind of been in the learning process, and it's maybe taken him a little bit longer to adjust than what he should have. Um, but never been to a, never, never having been to a bowl game, going three and nine last season, I know they were close. I know they were going to get – they could have beaten a lot of really good teams, but they didn't at some point, like you said, uh, with Bill Parcells, right? Like you you are what your record says you are. And they were three and nine. They've, they've never had a winning record. It's hard for me to put Scott Frost above anybody else in the big 10. Who's either done a great job with their team in, in developing in such a short time or has been to a bowl game. Yeah. For me, it just comes down to record. So you have to go Scott Frost. And I, I will agree with you also. I give him credit 
for adjusting. He, he, mm-hmm. he, he coaches are stubborn people. He's had to swallow his pride and adjust and make changes. He's doing that. So I do give him credit for that. Not saying he's a bad coach, but he's 14th on my list. And uh, not to rat you guys out, I actually had Frost 13th and the next coach 14th, but you guys overrided me two to one on this. But in all honesty, as I kind of talked with you, there's not a plausible hard argument that you could give by either 13 or 14 where one should be one in one spot and the other. I think at this point, even Nebraska fans have come, even Nebraska fans that want Scott Frost to succeed are, are, they understand they're coming up with less reasons to defend him. I mean, my biggest reason to put Frost 13th is, is what he did at UCF was impressive. And if of the 13th and 14th ranked coach, if there's going to be a massive scandal blow up, it's not going to be with our 14th ranked coach. I think it's going to be with our next ranked coach. So that's why I went with that one at 14th. But again, it, it could go either way. That's how it is. And I think we're already kind of alluding to that. So we will move on to the 13th ranked coach, which is Maryland's own Mike Loxley. Go ahead, DS. Yeah, I mean, I was impressed by what he did last year. I know you picked them to go 1-11. and 11. I didn't have them getting, winning uh, many more games last season. I thought this would be like a 3-9 and nine or 4-8 and eight team and pretty much be that way throughout the course. But I think they're showing some signs of improvement. He's doing well on the recruiting trail. The one question, though, then the concern is they lost their top three recruits. They're not keeping their um, – from the 2021 class. They're not keeping their really good defensive players, even – uh, Chance Campbell transferred their their star linebacker from 2019-2020. So I don't I don't know that what Mike Loxley is doing at Maryland is going to be sustainable. Like I think they have the talent to be a lot more competitive against Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State than maybe people are giving them credit. But because they've been so bad recently, um, just getting to a bowl game was. An, an impressive feat. I like, I didn't think they would ever get there under Mike Cloxley. So I couldn't put him last. And then, I mean, they just dragged Virginia tech in that bowl game. And uh, I was thoroughly impressed by that. Yeah. Just to add on to what DS said there, they also had a better year in 2020 than I expected. Yeah. Um, again, so for me, I'm just looking at re- this, maybe a little bit recency bias, but what he's done the last two years versus what Frost has done in the last two years, I have to give it to Locks. I can't argue with his results. I, I may not have the highest confidence in him long-term, but he's getting it done right now. I, I have been under the strong impression that Locks is more of a play caller, play designer than a program leader. I still feel like that's the right take. Okay. With that being said, I think I've sold him a little bit short on his ability to lead. So I still think there's things that could be improved there. Just the overall control of, of the program. I still don't feel like it's there. I still feel like there's a lot of people leaving. But but the bad news has quieted down, right? I mean, it, it's not, I mean, other than the, I mean, really the name, the, the biggest one is dudes leaving. There, there There's been but mostly it's been on the defensive side at one position when you think about it. So like maybe it's an anomaly that, that just the linebackers are leaving. I don't know. Like I, I still feel like 
there's something that doesn't seem quite right in the control department with locks. But if two years from now, if he has like essentially gotten that out of my head, that probably means he's, he's got consistent explosive offense and Maryland's doing pretty good. Yeah. Self-control usually correlates very well with control of program. I, I think, I think I'm there, not, there, there's some, there, not, there's some correlation. Not sure about that, but, but in the end, I, I'll never really make myself up to uh, uh, Maryland fans, but I, I'm at least coming around a little bit. You could pick Maryland to win the East, win the conference. You are not pulling them back ever. <laughs> yeah, probably not. One in 11. I'll own it. Okay. Next up, by the way, these two were actually tied. We had two coaches tied with the exact same number that they were assigned to. My tiebreaker was who had the most lowest votes between the two. So it wound up being at number 12, Illinois' Brett Bioma. Go ahead, Diaz. I mean, again, this goes to what we talked about and how deep the conference is. To take Illinois, um, and, and to me, it's not the record. It's not the five and seven. What they did in terms of how they improved defensively, uh, after Lovey Smith, like Ryan Walters was one of the most um, undervalued, underappreciated defensive coordinators, not just in the Big Ten, but in the country. Like to, to see what they did statistically, they had some of their best defensive numbers since 2011. I tweeted some of those out the other day. I can't remember what all it was. I think it was like scoring defense, uh, total defense, and maybe run defense, something along those lines. And then to go on the road and to beat a ranked Minnesota, to beat a ranked Penn State, to beat Nebraska in Champaign in week zero on the opening weekend with all eyes on you. Like I understand that five and seven is not the best season, but considering what Brett Bielema inherited and some of the wins he was able to churn out, I think that this program has a really bright future. So I can't put Brett Bielema any higher right now because it's still kind of that unproven. And I know he's got a track record at Wisconsin and and Arkansas. I think he's going to, Keep when we do this next year, he's going to be much higher on this list because I think that this program is heading in a really good direction. Yeah, I, I'm not going to disagree with you there. This one was probably the hardest to rank because we've only seen a single season out of him. So I had to take his previous uh, uh, jobs into consideration here. That's why I put him ahead of Loxley and Frost. I had him at 12 as well. Uh, it's just, it's, and he did do a good job this year too. So that's why I put him ahead of those two. I could put him behind, but I had to put him ahead because with the the small window we've had, it's a positive thing. And I do think I'm going to, I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit on what you said about him being way higher. I think he will inch up this list. I just don't think it'll be a meteoric rise. No, that's a good time. When DS said he would be much higher I agreed, but now that you say it like that, I actually, I think I actually agree with that more. I had him, I had him, I had him higher than both of you, which is interesting because you're the Illinois fan. Um, I just like to point out we we are at the twelfth ranked coach, who's won a Big Ten championship. That, that's, that's that's something. <laughs> I mean, I point. I think he took on a a difficult spot at Arkansas. Um, it, it didn't go well, but they did look better. By like I think it was like year two and in like year three they had real momentum and then it was like a combination of like injury schedule and then it all went out but I'm just saying he had the ship going in the right direction 
Diaz just pointed out, he's it looks better under Bulma than, than Lovey. There's just no question about it. Um, I'm just saying we're all the way down to 12. This, this is a pretty dang accomplished, good fo- div- uh, uh, power five football coach right here. No doubt. I, and I think it, no. it, it, it speaks more to the Big Ten as a collection of coaches than it is Brett Bulma being all the way down to 12. Okay. All right. Coming up, I feel like somebody might want to chop us in half after we list this off at number 11, Rutgers, Greg Shiano. Go ahead, Diaz. Well, I wanted to put him a lot lower uh, because apparently he eats his steaks cooked medium well. And I think that's why we discovered that that's why he carries around that ax so he can cut up the steak. But, which fits it, which fits uh, into the food takes. I mean, that was great. It yes, does. Good job. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, this kind of goes along with Illinois, right? Like it's, it, it just looks better. And I know that they haven't been great. They've been very inconsistent. Their offense hasn't been good, but the, the comparison I've made for Rutgers in may, maybe it's not this year, but I feel like two to three years down the road, Rutgers is going to be the Northwestern of the East. Like that's going to be a team that you don't want to play on it because they're going to be capable of beating any team on any given Saturday. And you're not really sure how they're going to win the game, but you know, like just look at what they did against Michigan last year. And it was like what 20 to 13 game. They had no business being in that game. Um, they got into a, a bowl game because of, you know, some, some of the academic stuff and, and Texas A&M withdrawing. But I mean, you just look at how bad Rutgers was under Chris Ash and, I, I still don't think there's a lot of teams in the Big Ten. They're still not up to Ohio State standards or anything like that. But this is a team that you really don't want to play. And for him to do that in such a short period of time has, um, I mean, like, it's one of the better coaching jobs in the Big Ten, for, on my, on, in my opinion. So unlike DS, I wanted to rank him higher. I didn't care about his, his, his stake temperature. Anyone who listens to this podcast knows I love me some Greg Schiano. I love what he did. Talk about eye tests. Talk about things changing. Talk about, um, like, I think, like, Rutgers, like Illinois, has a ceiling, so I don't see him shooting up to, like, the the top. I don't know. He could, he could poke up in the top half, but I see him being able to shoot up much higher in a quicker way than Bielema can. I, he, he's recruiting <laughs> – so well right now i mean you compared them to northwestern which i think is a good comparison but he's getting players that northwestern doesn't get so i think he could in some ways be even more dangerous than northwestern in the future i can't say anything bad about him i just wish that i'd ranked him or or could find a reason to rank him higher than 11. yeah i mean i feel like we are all lockstep here where we agree that greg shiano is at the at the very least a phenomenal hire for Rutgers, probably past that, just a really damn good coach. I mean, a lot of schools not not named Rutgers would be happy with Shiano. They looked better instantly after he took over from Ash, like DS said. Some a little something with last year gave me some pause. Like it's it's going to be a long rebuild. I, I, I the. What you brought up, DS, about them being the Northwestern of the East, that's interesting. But Northwestern, you know, got into Indy. He's not going to get there. I don't think that's going to happen. The quarterback situation, I know I'm kind of getting into. But, like, be prepared, Rutgers fans, for the fact that it might not look a lot better next this coming year and the year after. 
you're going to have to commit to the long haul with Shiano for it to start to turn around big time. With that being said, you know, the coach that I would want at Rutgers for the long haul, it's Greg Shiano. So like, you know, like he might just be sitting right here for a while. He might even go a, a little bit lower. And then at some point, then I think he can go back up. But I think this is appropriately ranked right, right now where he's at. Can, can I just add one thing to my comment about them being the Northwestern? It's not so much that I think they're going to be able to win the East anytime, but it's more like what you guys talk about on this podcast with Northwestern, right? It's Iowa, Wisconsin, Nebraska, always chalk it up as a win. And then you're stuck in the middle of a 18-18 ball game somehow. And you're like, how the hell is this possible? That's what I think when I think of where Rutgers can be. Like, I feel like, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State's going to, they're going to get the schedule and be like, Rutgers, that's a win. And then at some point, it's going to be a 21 to 17 game. Rutgers has the ball, not this year, next year, but maybe, you know, four or five years down the road when he's implemented that culture and got his players. That's more what I'm seeing. No, that's very well explained. All right. Next up, number 10, Indiana zone, Tom Allen. Yeah, I mean, so I think Tom Allen's done a fantastic job at Indiana. It's not an easy job. It's the losing his program in college football history. Um, but I can't help but think that that 2020 season was the thing that's sticking out right now. Um, I, I still think he's a really good coach, but to go from where they were in 2020 to go to two and 10, I mean, they looked worse than what Northwestern did, in my opinion, to go from Big Ten West champs to three and nine. They couldn't move the ball offensively. They weren't, they were okay defensively, but they were nowhere near what they were in 2020. Um, I still think Tom Allen's a really good coach. I think it speaks to again how how top to bottom this is a great conference. But I'm I've lost just a touch of that faith that Tom Allen has put Indiana like we I mean, we're putting them in the conversation of Ohio State and Michigan. And clearly they're not even close to that right now. Yeah, this one was tough for me. I love me some Tommy A, just like I love me some Greg Schiano. I love that crazy bastard and those goofy eyes he's got. So maybe that's why I ranked him a little higher than Schiano. Obviously, is he's lost a lot of luster. It's it's just amazing how far they they fell last year. But I think just watching the rise of Tommy A and the program since he's been there, he's been there longer than Schiano. Um. And I also think like Rutgers, like Greg pointed out, I think Tom Allen is the right coach for Indiana. So look, if it took a big step back last year, if it doesn't get right back to a bowl game, I would say don't panic, stay the course, keep Tommy A on because I think he's the right guy at the right place. All right. So I think this is a good point to a good part to point out DS and big Kurt exactly the same 14 13 12 11 10 okay you guys were exact locks up scott frost loxley bielma shiano crazy tommy allen i had tommy allen all the way at 12 hmm. i was two spots below either one of you i was honestly kind of surprised when your guys's list came in and i averaged these out i thought we were i thought we were all going to have tommy allen at at 12 um right now his tenure at Indiana, I see one outlier year and that's last year. And that was a COVID year. And much like Iowa state, 
the best year being in your COVID year doesn't really look great upon your program. Last year wasn't just bad. It was, it was abysmal. It was abysmal. It, it was take the soul out of Indiana fan base bad. <laughs> I mean, I've seen it. I've seen the reactions on, they were everywhere on Twitter last year. I, I, I can't find them now. They, they were gone until basketball season started. I, I love Martha, the mop lady. There's a ton of Indiana fans that I have good interactions with. It was fun when they, they did it. In my opinion, I think they know what's up, which is they're in trouble. And, and, and I don't disagree with what you guys are saying that Tom Allen is the right fit in Indiana as best as a coach could be to like really care about the Hoosiers. I, I don't know if he can get out of this nosedive right now. Yes. I, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I feel like at who else are you going to get at Indiana? Nobody else has worked. You know what I'm saying? Um, that's kind of where I'm at. And I might agree with you. I'm not completely disagreeing with you, but I think that that eight and five season in 2019 played into my decision and they were in, in 2017 and 18, they had some close years. They were five and seven, both years had chances to go to bowl games, had chances to get some big wins. I'm not excusing what happened last year. I just think if you can get to a bowl game two or three times every five, six years at Indiana, what else do you want? I mean, that's a program that usually is two and 10 or three and nine. I don't know. Like, I just don't know who else you would get. And one thing that played into it for me is the way he's recruiting right now. That's fair. And you know what? I'm probably underselling the should have beat Tennessee in the bowl game year that, that, that was really close to being a good year. So that's a great point. DS. I mean, but I think we all agree that it, it, the, the needle is pointing down. So obviously the one way to get yourself out of that, now that you have Vince McMahon's grandson on your team, is to walk out of the of the tunnel with the Vince McMahon arms walk. That, that's oh how you God, that's that's how you exercise the demons right there. If if Tommy Allen does that, they're in the bowl next year, right away. Tommy would do that. <laughs> Could you not Tommy can Tommy can pull that off? Of course. <laughs> oh, Did yeah. you Okay, did you guys ever watch F is for Family on Netflix? No. Okay. Well, this isn't gonna maybe if somebody listener out there, he looks he looks like a drawing from one of those because it's a it's in an animated series. His image, like he looks like somebody drew him on F is for Family. That's the only that's the best comparison the I've ever been able to come up with. It's that. the teeth. It's the teeth. They're so they're Probably. so pronounced, I swear. Well, but the crazy eyes and then also the glasses too, and the, <laughs> that goofy smiley's eyes. All right, moving on to number nine, staying in the staying in the same state, Purdue's own Jeff Brom, like Tom. Yeah, I think the 2018 and 19, or no, excuse me, 2019 and 20 seasons were disappointing for Purdue. And I was with you guys. I was questioning what he was doing with the three defensive coordinators this year. Um, but to get to nine wins, and this kind of goes in the same hand with what I was talking about with Tom Allen. Like, Purdue's been to three bowl games in five seasons. This year they were a challenger in the Big Ten West. When you've seen how bad it can get uh, under Danny Hope, under Daryl Hazel, what more could you want? I think that Jeff Brom's offensive ingenuity, like 
I don't think he's going to have a nine win season every year, but if you can get six or seven wins and by the way, they've beaten um, three top five teams in his, in his tenure, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good run at Purdue. So um, you could probably make the argument that Jeff Brom deserves to be higher. You could probably make the argument that he deserves to be lower, but um, I don't, number nine seems about right to me. I was really impressed with what he did last season and to, to be in three bowl games in five years. I think that's a really good sign for Purdue. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Brom. I also had him at nine, uh, had a huge bounce back year, obviously. Uh, he seemed to be kind of losing his offensive play calling mojo, but he got that back too. I mean, you had even Purdue fans criticizing his offensive play calling in 2020. I mean, clearly he he's not suffering from that at least last season and keep in mind, Purdue's plays two power five teams out of conference every year. They've got one of the toughest schedules year in and year out in the Big Ten. Not sure why they do it, but they do it. So I have to give them credit for that, too. And uh, I just I just like Jeff Brown. OK, I, I, I want to drink bourbon with Jeff Brown. So uh, just just get out before he starts flipping tables over, because I feel like he'd be one of those guys, too. What's with <laughs> hey, what's I, with the state of Indiana coaches? I'll, I'll flip tables with Jeff. Yeah, Brown. it would be fine. That'd I think. be awesome. Jeff Brom was, and I, I believe is the hardest coach to slot with. He, I think he has a, a lot of wide variances where he could be ranked because he's got a lot, a lot of wide variances for who he is. He's, is he, is he a good program builder? I don't think so. Does he put together an amazing offense? Heck yes. Uh, is he consistently winning games? no. Does he consistently F up your season if you're a big team? Yes. Like he is a, as, and that's not just an Iowa thing. I mean, he's done it to, to, to other people too. I mean, he is a mercurial coach, definitely has talent. I feel like there was a point where Purdue fans were getting, getting to the end of the, of the Brom rope before last year, parts of, Last year, if you can remember, even into mid-October, it wasn't looking good. And then the Iowa game springboarded, and they, they were amazing. So, so now we're all a little bit hesitant on what we're supposed to think going into next year. Is it is it the, the Purdue program that kind of ended the year? Or is it the Purdue program that we've kind of seen, you know, at various parts in the last four years since? Bro- I, I'm not saying I know. I'm saying... It, 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 he's maybe one of the most, if not the most intriguing coach in the Big Ten. I feel like he's one of the most mysterious coaches in the Big Ten. He's at nine here. He could be lower. He could be higher. I don't know. I don't even know what to say. And I think you could make a point. When he came to Purdue, he had a quarterback that worked for him. Right now, he's yeah. got a quarterback that works for him. In between, he didn't really have that. So maybe it all comes down to him having the right fit at quarterback. Could be. And just a capable defense. That too. All right, moving on to number eight. This gets us right after this. We'll be at the halfway mark. Michigan State's own Mel Tucker. So I had Mel Tucker at number eight on my list as well. And I think, look, what he did from 2020 to 2021 was remarkable to get the players he needed from the transfer portal, to get all those guys to mesh, to assemble his staff, uh, I felt like in 2020 when he was hired, a lot of people were kind of mocking Michigan State for the, the the staff that he was able to assemble. I personally was impressed, and I know that didn't play out well in 2020. They go two and five, but 
I think it helped kind of set the foundation for where they're at now. Um, but at the same time, the reason I had Mel Tucker so low after an 11 and two season is because it is a one year thing. And so is that going to be sustainable? That's my biggest question for them. There's no doubt he's a good coach. He's, he's done some good things early in his time at East Lansing. I just don't know if that kind of success is sustainable. I, I think we're going to find out this year because they lose Kenneth Walker. Um, they lose some of their really good players on both sides of the football. They also recruited the portal really well. Again, I think they were the top two or three team in the transfer portal rankings. So we're going to see. I mean, it's he's an interesting follow because he's not traditional I think he's still getting some good players on the recruiting trail, but he's one of those guys that he's taking advantage of this transfer portal opportunity. Yeah. He's good point with the transfer portal. He's, he's recruiting well out of the high school ranks, but he's also adding great transfers, not just last year, this year too. Um, so one of the, I had him ranked at seven, actually one, one slot higher. One of the reasons is because of his recruiting. Another reason is because of his fit. Yes. I might be giving a little too much credit, but I just, I like what I see from Tucker. He's got a swagger. I Everything just seems to be coming together. So I, I, I'm really confident. My confidence is high on Mel Tucker at Michigan State. So interesting enough, um, we were seven, eight, and nine here. Uh, DS nailed the average at, at eight. Uh, Kurt had him at seven. I had him at nine. So I had him lower than what the average is here, which is interesting because when Mel Tucker got first got hired, I was higher than what the general crowd was on the hire. Now everybody I feel like has maybe fallen a little too in love with Mel. Now I feel like I'm trending behind on on how I feel about Mel. Um, I'm not calling it a one hit wonder because he deserves all the credit in the world for bringing in Kenneth Walker. Like Kenneth Walker was the difference in the 2021 Michigan state fighting Spartans. Okay. but he brought him in. <laughs> so he, he right. gets the credit for bringing Kenneth Walker in. So I just wanted to make sure I preface that. With that being said, I've got concerns on the offensive line next year without a difference maker at Kenneth Walker. I, I do believe in their quarterback. I think there's a lot of question marks on the defense. I, I, I would be anxious if I was a Michigan State fan right now on how much love Sparty is getting going in to 2022 and i think mel tucker if he's being honest with himself probably feels the same way there seems to be maybe a little bit more expectations than what is realistic i mean if they go nine and three that would be amazing you know to 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 be even though it would be a step below so so it's not that i don't disagree with anything you guys just said that was positive you know like overall coolness and direction of the program all of that applies i think we're gonna have to now take a step back before there's a potential step back forward and it will be interesting to see if if i am correct and i i'm not making a completely bold prediction but if they do fall back a little bit it will be interesting to see what the backlash is if people suddenly jump back off the mel tucker bandwagon if they're not as good as maybe some people think they are next year all right, that is halfway through, so we're going to do a little read here. The Eyes on Big Podcast is sponsored by the Amador Whiskey Company. Our unique process takes the highest quality Kentucky bourbon and finishes in California wine barrels. This double barrel aging technique creates characteristics from the individual barrels that are blended together to make an exceptional whiskey. 
Perfect sip neat or in your favorite bourbon cocktail, Amador is the perfect go-to any Saturday. Amador Whiskey Company, born in Kentucky, raised in California. So that gets us up to the top half. So we are at number seven, Minnesota's own PJ, the eyeball fleck. DS, go for it. I was going to say, I don't know if PJ Fleck or his doppelganger is going to be coaching the team this year, but um, I, I mean, he's beaten Wisconsin twice uh, during his five years at Minnesota, consistently gets to a bowl game. I think he did the right thing by making, uh, bringing Kirk Shiraka back for this next season. Um, I'm just thoroughly impressed. I think Minnesota is getting to the point where they're going to be, I know they haven't won the big 10 West yet, but I think they're getting to the point where they can be a consistent big 10 West contender. I mean, I think they're right up there with Iowa and Wisconsin. When you talk about the teams heading into 2022 that are going to be in the conversation. Um, And he's getting, he's also the thing that he's been able to do is he's, he's had a good offensive and defensive lines. And I know that, at times we've questioned how good the, those guys are going to be up front and we'll see how good they are developing this year, losing so many on both sides. But I feel like PJ Fleck is kind of that perfect coach. And he's talked about before, you know, he kind of wants to model after Iowa and Kirk Ferentz. He kind of wants to model after Paul Christ in Wisconsin. I think he's kind of doing that. And you're seeing the success by getting to consistent bowl games. I know they have issues. Uh, they had issues last year with the passing attack. They've had consistent issues with the special teams but all in all, I mean, it, Minnesota being on the map and, and getting to an 11 win season in 2019, getting back to nine wins last year. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know what else you want if you're a Gopher fan. So I have PJ Fleck up at number seven. He's another guy that I think over time can um, get up into this conversation with with some of the other guys in that division, because I think that Minnesota is heading that direction. So my only question with PJ Fleck is who kidnapped him? How much is the ransom? Is anyone willing to pay it? I, but no, to be honest, I actually had Fleck up at six. Big thing with him, number one, consistency. Number two is overachieving compared to his recruiting rankings. I'm not saying he's a bad recruiter. In fact, I'm saying he's a good evaluator. But then there's also times, I'm not, not even just last season, there's been times I would say probably every every year we've done the podcast where I, I look and I'm like, boy, things could come unraveled real quick, but then they don't, he tightens them up and they actually improve. And he's improved every single year throughout the year that we've done this podcast. So that's why I put PJ Fleck at number six. That, that is a phenomenal point. I can't really point to it, but there are times where you, you think, Oh, it, it's in trouble. He, he pulls it back. And I, and I think it's just like sure. Willpower you know, on, on what he wants to get done. And like, you got to give him credit. I I mean, like he does get credit, but it's sometimes, I don't know if he gets enough credit because of, I don't know, a little bit of the circus act. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't mean to, to, you know, dwell on the negative too much with that stuff. I know the, the, uh, uh, row the boat thing has got a personal meaning to him, but, but I don't think you can deny that. Like, the outside of the football complex stuff is is what gets the most attention, but that does bring attention onto the program, which is what you need in this state because it's a, it's a pro sports town. So that, so then you kind of wind up giving them credit for that. The wins have been there. They've beaten Wisconsin twice. Like people forget, what was it? 15 years in a row. The ax was in Madison. It's, it's in, it's in Dinkytown two of the last three. 
you just can't deny that. Um, hasn't beaten Iowa, hasn't gotten over the hump. I, but, I, it, you know, I, I know I'm bringing that up and I'm an Iowa fan, but that's a that's a thing. If, if they would have beat Iowa last year, they would have been in Indianapolis. That is the last hurdle they have to get. And, and you know, my guess is coming into this season, PJ has got his eyes on Indianapolis. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm not, I'm sorry. I'm, not I'm just not, I'm not above it. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. Number six, Penn State's own James Franklin. Okay. I want to start this by kind of asking a question, I guess, because I was really high on James Franklin up until really the end of this last season. Like I know that he just signed a major contract, but I feel like Sandy Barber did that knowing she was going to step down the AD at Penn state. Like, do you guys have as much confidence in Penn state under James Franklin as you did maybe a year ago? No, not quite. Okay. I I don't either. And I would have like, I liked the way Penn State was trending. I thought that three 11 win seasons in four years, they were consistently playing Ohio State well. They do, still do play Ohio State well, but I, I just, for they're still recruiting at a high level. But I feel like James Franklin, his in game decisions are still really questionable. To lose that game, and I don't mean to bring this up, Kurt, but to lose that game to Illinois was just a backbreaker. Um, at home, you had a chance to, to, to get a big win and, and kind of get your season back on track. They weren't able to do that. Um, the offense, to have the kind of the bevy of running backs they had last season and um, to, to never produce a 100-yard rusher, that's a concern to me. And I say all these negative things, and he's the number six coach on the list. He's still a really good coach. He beat Auburn. He's won some big games. He's obviously won a Big Ten championship. Uh, like I said, 11 wins in three uh, or three 11 win seasons in, in four years. You can't erase that stuff. But I think there are still some concerns about James Franklin. So I would have had him. I think we had him much higher on this list a season ago. But because of what the last two years have looked like, four and four and five in 2020, and then seven and six this past season, I think that Penn State right now there are some reasons for concern. But still a really good football coach. Well, I'm glad you dragged him before I did. So maybe it takes some of the heat off of me. I actually had him ranked eighth. I believe in one of the seasons we did this, we had him ranked first. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that was uh, after the, yeah, I think was it was close. Or it was either first or second. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so he's, he has fallen. He is a great recruiter. I will give him that. It, you can't take that away from him. He doesn't win the big games. You mentioned he plays OSU close, but he doesn't beat them, not, at least right. not very often. And then he does the inexcusable things. He loses to Maryland in embarrassing fashion. He loses to Illinois at home. And that was when, you know, that wasn't the, the late season Illinois that had this lockdown defense. That was midseason Illinois that nobody knew was that good yet. The, the, uh, you just don't lose that game ever. So he's done. Th- and, and you mentioned the end game stuff. No need to repeat that. No need to go any deeper than that. I, he does recruit. Well, I don't see him doing a heck of a lot of other things. Well, and look, the, the, the goal for Penn state fans is to win the East. Right. It, it's been a tick, you know, and all the, all those things are fair, but we are at this point in the list and he's got a big 10 championship. 
under his belt. That means something to me. Like you can't completely, uh, uh, th- that was a huge part of my thought process. Cause here's what's something that's pretty interesting. Okay. He- he's ranked, uh, uh, six here on the list. Okay. DS had him ranked six big Kurt all the way down at eighth. I had him at fourth. That's the, so we, we between the three of us who fancy ourselves, big 10 minds four to eight, that's the swing. With, with 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 James Franklin, and I think it's all the things that DS and Kurt just laid out eloquently on what is the conundrum wrapped in a riddle with with James Franklin. You, I don't even know if you get a could get a consensus if you just took five random Penn State fans on how they feel about James Franklin. There's no doubt that you would get one that would love him and one that would hate him. Those three in the middle, I got no clue how they would feel about James Franklin. And I, and I would love, I would love to know, like, and I think it's depending on what day you ask those three Penn state fans, his recruiting is awesome. And it's doing very well. I I, like the overall feel of the program is typically good. It's not like it's a program that seems like it's in disarray, but it just can't seem to take that big consistency step. I'm not even adding anything here. I'm as, probably as confused as anybody. Um, I like James Franklin for the most part, like when he brought in key or peel, whichever it was to impersonate him. I thought that was cool. I don't know. Just stuff like that. I don't know. I just, it's, I'll say this much next year for, for James Franklin, pivotal year for where he's going to wind up on our list next year. Um, The thing to me with, with James Franklin is like you said, Kurt, with, with PJ Fleck, how he seems to be outperforming when it comes to recruiting. I think James Franklin is kind of underperforming when it comes to his recruiting classes. Makes sense. All right, here we go. This is the point where Kurt starts flipping chairs over and gets mad at the whole college football universe, which would basically come down on raining down on DS and I at number five. And this was actually a tie, but the consensus was that this was the coach that was lower Northwestern's, Pat Fitzgerald. I mean, I just, I understand that he's won two big 10 West division titles in the last four seasons, but he's also finished three and nine twice in the last four seasons. I just, there's a lot of inconsistency. Uh, I think that look, that defense in 2021 was anything like we've seen from Northwestern's defense. And from what I can remember. So I do wonder about the loss of defensive coordinator, Mike Hankwitz, but at the same time, I mean, we're talking about going on, what, two decades almost of F- Pat Fitzgerald um, just proving to us that he's a he's a really good coach. He knows what he's doing. He can get Northwestern into bowl games frequently. Obviously, he's not going anywhere. You could probably make the argument that he deserves to be higher on this list. I'm not going to disagree with that. I just think that they're I think there are some concerns about Northwestern because of how they've looked two of the last three years. And as we talked about with some of these other teams, particularly Indiana, I think that in 2020, that was a COVID year. So how much do we put into that? And then what does this defense look like post Mike Hankwitz? Because in 2021, it wasn't good. And they've continually not played well on the offensive side. It's almost like Bobby Diaco is down in the downstairs athletic club because do you feel the strain, the strain that is coming from Kurt right now after what was pretty solid minute and a half there of, of Pat Fitzgerald degrading 
it, it, it like okay well go ahead all right i had pet pet Fitzgerald number one as i do every year <laughs> because he's a wizard and i i don't know why you guys tempt this and you know and and taunt the college football gods to to spite your team just ask fans of any big 10 west team wisconsin purdue iowa like how how does pat fitzgerald do that i don't know how they do it i i can't figure out how the bleep they do it they consistently recruit at the bottom of the big 10 doesn't matter you pointed out they consistently have awful offenses very few playmakers doesn't matter but i will give you this like hankwitz is gone it looked bad is it gonna look bad again i'm if it does if 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 it does i may not rank him number one next year and i maybe don't give enough credit to the bad seasons that he does occasionally have i should probably factor that in more to me it's like okay we're just planning for the next time they're going to sneak up on you and and ambush you so i but i don't care he's he's number one still i think one thing all three of us agree on is pat fitzgerald is a really good coach and it is the absolute all across not just power five you could maybe make an argument all across any sport no coach fits where he should be at more than pat fitzgerald at northwestern okay so not disparaging any of that, not disparaging the credit that he, that or uh, the accomplishments that he's had since he's been at Northwestern. It's a clean program. He's gotten every square inch out of it. I just wonder if it's a towel that he somehow just keep twisting that wet towel to get a little bit more out of it. And it's actually gotten to the point where there's no more, there's no, there's nothing more to twist to get, out of it. it 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 has had that feeling now that's the feeling i got three years ago i know that they went crazy in the covid year but as ds pointed out that was a covid year where it just seemed like it fit perfectly to be set up for northwestern where everything was awry so you just went base offense defense and you just play smart football and got there it's in their dna Last year was back to looking like 2019. If, if, if you're, if you're a gambling man and you have to take the bet, will it look like 2020 or 2021 or 19? I think most people are taking the bet that it's going to look like 2019 or or 21. You go ahead and take that bet. And I'm not saying I'm going to bet on it, but, but that's the, is that not the general consensus DS right now that if you are not a scarred, Iowa in Illinois fan from the outside, there isn't as much, there's isn't much pain wrapped around it. So people, that's what people are feeling with Pat Fitzgerald. They Pat, have you Pat, right where they want you right now. I understand. I understand. I, I get that from my perspective, not having really a dog in this fight. Like I, I look at Northwestern, I look at Pat Fitzgerald and, and Yes, he's a great coach. Like, I'm never going to say he's not a great coach. But I look at Northwestern heading into 2022, and I'm like, where are they going to beat you? And I know, like you said, Kurt, he's got that wizard factor that you can just never kind of factor. But I, I just don't – I think if you look back at the past, you you kind of look back and say, yeah, they had this guy, that guy. They had the, you know, the Irish law firm at linebacker. They brought in Peyton Ramsey at quarterback. They've had those other answers. I don't know where they're going to – outside of Evan Hull, where are their playmakers? What are they going to do defensively? 
because they looked so bad last season. And I think they're going to be even, they might be even worse. They lost Brandon Joseph. They lost some, some key guys from that linebacker core. I agree. I think it will, if I had to put a bet on it, I think that you're looking more like three or four wins as opposed to eight or nine wins in 2022. Okay. By the way, they have not played the 22 season yet. We're judging on 21 and prior. It's fair, but, but let's be honest. I mean, we, and we never set the rules when we started, but this is a combination of how we feel now accomplishments previous and projecting a little bit forward. And I think we're at least DS and I are, are kind of doing the same thing. Good luck with that. I, I tell you what, I, and I, and, and as an Iowa fan, I'm putting it out in the universe and it makes me nervous, but I also have to sit there and, and give it my honest take. All right. And this was a tie, but the tiebreaker, because of most votes that were post the spot, went to Pat Fitzgerald. So at number four is Wisconsin's Paul Crist. Okay, I actually had Paul Crist a little bit higher. I had him at number three on the list. Um, So uh, to me, I think Paul Crist, look, Wisconsin the past couple seasons hasn't been maybe – as great. And there's maybe some concerns, especially with their quarterback play, their defense has still been outstanding. I think Jim Leonard's done an outstanding job and um, how much of uh, Jonathan Taylor was carrying that offense. I think you can say quite a bit, but we'll see what happens in 2022. Like, but Paul Christ, I mean, to get to as many big 10 championship games as he had, the, the, the next hurdle for him is to actually go and win one of those, one of those things. They've been one of the most consistent programs the thing that, that makes it kind of hard for me to judge about Paul Christ is Wisconsin's been so darn consistent since Barry Alvarez. I mean, with Brett Bielema, even Gary Anderson with his uh, couple year stint, and then Paul Christ. I think that kind of like James Franklin, you can say there's a little bit of concern with Wisconsin, but I think by and large, looking at what he's done in the past, getting to as many Big Ten championship games as he had, looking at what they have in the backfield with Braylon Allen and then Ches Malusi obviously playing all last season injured. I still think the future is bright at Wisconsin. Um, there's no question in my mind, Paul Chris is a top five coach. I, I think he should be higher, but I have no problem with him at number four. Yeah, Wisconsin's going to be just fine. Uh, Chris, the, the thing I'll, I'll say about Chris, they, had, they did stumble a little bit. The thing that really sticks in my craw with Coach Chris right now is them having the Big Ten West at their taking against Minnesota and losing not only the Axe, but losing the West. I, that They started out poorly last year, but then they became Wisconsin again, and then they suddenly unbecame Wisconsin at the very end of the year. And I can't get that out of my mind. So I might have had them one slot higher at four, but I had them at five because of that game. It's, I, I, can't, I can't erase it from my memory. Again, Paul Chris is a good coach. He's a great coach. Yeah. Um, I, you, like – Here's my thought process is I feel like that out outside of the big 10, I feel like Paul Christ doesn't get as much credit as he deserves. And I feel like, I, I don't know what the number would be, but an extremely high percentage of, of power five fan bases would be ecstatic to have Paul Christ come in as their next coach. He would be an improvement on like probably all, but, 15 or 20, 15 uh, 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 football programs across the country. I I know I'm just kind of putting you on the spot, DS, but what do you think about that? Um, I, 
I know what you're saying, but I feel like look at what he did at Pitt. I mean, he was a 500 coach at Pitt. I think he's one of those unique guys that knows Wisconsin and knows what it takes. So to me, he's one of those guys where I don't know that he would be successful in a lot of other places because it's so unique to Wisconsin. Does that like does that? I think he's a great coach. You literally, you literally led me into my point because I was trying to in sales. You typically try to start out with a positive before you give. A negative and this is what I was trying to do because something I heard on a national podcast is he's running the Barry Alvarez system and it, it and I'm having a hard time separating that from Paul Crest so right. you have to be intelligent enough to embrace the, the Alvarez system or whatever is going to work you see coaches that get too egotistical and they push back on what works because they quote unquote want to do it their way. You have got to give Paul Chris the credit for the fact that he hasn't done that. He's kept the same go- uh, 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 thought process going. And that's why they've had so, so much success. I'll give you an example. Gary Anderson at Wisconsin. That's it. That's all the further you have to go. Yeah. And, and, and he got run out for it. So like, I don't think Paul Chris gets enough credit for that. I mean, he's basically a game manager quarterback as a coach which ironically is what they recruit to a lot. And because of that, they've won a ton of games. And I know, I know he gets a, a lot of heat for being a milk toast, you know, type of personality. My guess is he's got more personality behind the scenes with his players and assistant coaches than what lets on. But long story short, th- this is a high quality coach here. All right. Next up, number three, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz. Yeah, I mean, uh, Kirk Ferentz has done a fantastic job. He's another one, uh, Greek, that I, I think you can agree that outside of the Big Ten probably doesn't get enough respect. Maybe even inside of the Big Ten doesn't get enough respect. Iowa's finished in the top 25 of the AP poll each of the last four seasons. They've won at least nine games. They've hit ten, the 10 win mark um, twice in three seasons. He's won two Big Ten West championship games. Um it's amazing to me that we still deal with kind of the stereotype of, oh, you know, when we're talking about the college football playoff, who were their big wins? They beat Iowa. Like, I don't know why Iowa gets downgraded as like a mediocre football team, but for the past four, really since 2015, they've been a high quality program. Uh, even 2020, they went six and two. So that you won't find out. I mean, we're going to talk about some really good coaches still, but Kirk Ferentz is the epitome of consistency. I mean, he's hit double-digit win totals three times since 2015. Like I said, two Big Ten West division titles. And I want to give a lot of credit to you. I want to make sure I mention this. To deal with the kind of, and I'm going to curse here too, but to deal with the kind of shit he dealt with through the summer of, what was it, 2020, and to rebound from that, to get everybody on the same page, to get all the players, all the parents Everybody kind of to like, like we've seen tweets, we've seen comments, we've seen stories about how connected that team is. He could have walked out the door and said, you know what? I've had a great 20 year career. So for him to bounce back, to go six and two in 2020, to win the big 10 freaking West in 2021, I think I'm probably higher on Kirk Ferentz now than maybe I've ever been uh, covering this, this conference. I would call Kirk Ferentz an Oak. He is just, you, you get the same thing basically every year. He's been there forever. Like he's the grandfather of the Big Ten. He's the grandfather of Power Five football. I'm, I'm going to see if I can pull off the story. 
to 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 make it mean what I want it to. If you talk to a casual fan, a lot of them will say, "Oh, I think Kirk Ferentz is the most overrated coach in college football." Well, why is that? Well, because Iowa's such a great program, but they can't go to the playoff. They can't win the Big Ten. They can't win the national championship. Okay, but where where do you think they're sitting? Where do you think they're recruiting from? Like what he does, where he is with the the you know with the resources he has, it's incredible that he can get to a point where a casual fan considers Iowa to be a national power that that quote unquote can't win the big one. Right, so it's like I don't know, it's like an insult but a compliment at the same time. Honestly, guys, like you guys are blowing me away. I mean, obviously, I've got a emotional personal you know connection to to coach Ferentz but like thank you you guys as a non-Iowa fan thanks for saying what what I feel and a lot of Iowa fans feel I I, I just have to so did what I say make sense 1000 percent made sense. I mean my my take on it is when I see you know dummies on Twitter say Kirk Ferentz sucks they just obviously don't understand football <laughs> if, if you right. think her parents is a crappy coach you you literally just don't understand what's going on in the whole landscape of, of college football i think like ds already kind of alluded to it since 2015 i think they're eighth or ninth in the country in wins among amongst power five programs <laughs> i mean i understand the big 10 championship isn't there how, how much more can you expect from that uh and, and here's here's just just kind of a, I'll throw it out to you, DS. Like, why is Kyle Whittingham in everybody's top 10, but Kirk Ferentz is somewhere around 20 to 25? What is the big I, difference between Kyle Whittingham and Kirk Ferentz on why one is so beloved and the other one's not? I mean, they both lose to Northwestern, right? <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. There you go. I, I, I think it goes back to this argument, and this is bizarre to me, but I think it goes back to this argument that you guys had on the podcast with with Braden Gall, which I, I listened to was fantastic, that the Big Ten West just doesn't get enough credit. And, like, if you're a good team, you should be winning the Big Ten West every single season. That That is my legitimate take on it. It's more about the Big Ten West than it is necessarily a specific coach, if that makes sense. I think you're right, and that is so weird. It's like – it's baked into the cake west to Kirk Kirk back to the west. Yeah. I've never heard anybody articulate like that. That's that's fantastic. All right, moving on to the number 2 coach, Big 10 champion, Michigan's own Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, I mean, I was much lower on Jim Harbaugh. Like I I don't know where we had him last year. It'd be interesting to to try to remember that, but um, I was much lower on him. He took that buyout. I thought that Jim Harbaugh was going to be done after this season. But now that he's won a Big Ten championship, now that he's beaten Ohio State, considering where he's recruiting and, and doing a really good job, I think they're going to take an even bigger jump. Maybe not this year, but I think next year. I think he's done some really good things with his staff. I think he's got a, a youthful, energetic staff that, that works at Michigan if they can get some of those elite level players that they haven't been able to quite get, they've been able to get, you know, a, a five-star here and there, but if they can start to get three or four, you're talking about a team that can compete in the college football playoff. Um, just the transformation we saw from Aiden Hutchinson, the, the, the growth we saw out of Cade McNamara last season, the amount, I think what Jim Harbaugh maybe doesn't get enough credit for. And I think I was guilty of this was 
I think he did allow uh, Mike McDonald last year to run the defense and Josh Gaddis to run the offense. That, that's my opinion. I think he allowed things to get a little bit more creative. And I think that really benefited Michigan. So I think th this is a program that I thought was dead in the water. Um, wasn't going to ever, maybe not, not ever beat Ohio state, but wasn't going to beat Ohio state under Jim Harbaugh. Wasn't going to win the big 10 under Jim Harbaugh. And now all of a sudden I've completely flipped the script because he's done it now. He's recruiting well, he's hiring well. And this is a team that, that seems to like each other. And that makes a big difference. Like, I don't know if that's going to make sense, but the, the group that they have in Ann Arbor just seems to get along. And I think that you have to give Jim Harbaugh a ton of credit for that because I think his players respect him. I think he recruits players that mesh well together. And I think that makes a big difference. Yeah. Chalk me up as someone that thought he would never beat Ohio state. So credit yeah. to him for that. Let's remind everybody outside of the COVID year, that wasn't great. He hasn't had a bad year at, at Michigan. He's been pretty damn good. Number 10 win seasons. Uh, I, I like what you said about the staff. I kind of liken this to the Purdue situation where I didn't, I had no confidence in what they did in the off season. I just didn't understand what, what, what was going to, what did they do with the staff that was going to take them to the next level? I couldn't have been more wrong. And I feel like you, you mentioned recruiting it sometimes, you know, it, it just takes one great quarterback. What if that quarterback is JJ McCarthy? He might be on the roster right now. Yeah. I mean, Stanford, the 49ers, Michigan, all of this plays into the number two ranking for me. Like, I feel like, I feel like, uh, Jim Harbaugh, you could, you could drop him off into a, uh, a bunch of hicks in a cornfield, a high-class dinner party, uh, a mud hut in the middle of Africa. He would find some, a common out. Like, I don't know. He, he would be like, oh, okay, here's what you do. And, and, and he would somehow get everybody marching in the right direction together. There's never really been a bad-looking Harbaugh team other than the crazy 2020 dumpster fire that, that we probably put too much weight in me, me and you and, and a lot of other people last year was a great football team. That was a great football team. I was disappointed in the, in the college football playoffs, but that's it. That's the only really bad thing you can look at other than the fourth quarter of the Michigan state game. Um, um, it, this is, it, it seems to be going, I, I have this feeling that even with all the losses, even with the weirdness that was the Vikings deal, I still feel like it's going in the right direction, uh, that it's going to be fine. It, it at, at the very least, it's always intriguing with Harbaugh. I don't seem to dislike him it's as much as the general college football world does. Uh, you know, I'm not 100% confident that he's going to be there long-term, but I'm 100% confident that he'll be there long-term they'll keep winning a lot of football games. All right, moving on, which is pretty much obvious at this point. Number one, the top-ranked coach in this year's ranking, Ohio State's own Ryan Day. Yeah, I mean, for him to take over one of the biggest jobs in the country, um, to get to two college football playoffs, um, to be on the verge of a national championship in his second year is pretty outstanding. Obviously, Ohio State's recruiting better than anybody in the Big Ten. They have one of the best recruiting classes regularly um, in the, in the country. He, the, the thing that I, and people probably know this by now, but 
He worked with Dwayne Haskins, who was a Heisman finalist as a first-year starting quarterback. Justin Fields, Heisman finalist as a first-year starting quarterback. C.J. Stroud, Heisman finalist as a first-year starting quarterback. There might not be a better offensive mind in college football than Ryan Day. They've got to get some things corrected on the defensive side. Obviously, losing to Michigan last year, not getting into the college football playoff, not winning a Big Ten title is a big deal. I think we talked about last season questioning whether he was surpassing Urban Meyer. I'm still not quite there yet, Um, although morally I think he's probably a better human being than Urban Meyer, and he's certainly got better hair. Um, But I I just – I think when you look at what Ryan Day brings to the field, um, what he does offensively, the way they're recruiting, I just can't put anybody above him in the Big Ten, and that includes Pat Fitzgerald. You exposed yourself, Dustin Schutte. You said, is he, is he better than Urban Meyer? I'm not sure. Like, if, if you're going to be number one in the conference, then you have to transcend. Uh, so you, you said he, his trajectory is not really higher. I don't know. I, I think it actually may be a little bit higher than Urban Meyer. The way he's recruiting, just the, I mean, I guess using the stupid term eye test, it's just impressive. Yes, I get it. They lost to Michigan. But for me, like you're supposed to do that at Ohio State. You're supposed to be good. You're supposed to be Urban Meyer level. You're supposed to be Trestle level. So I can't put him any higher than three personally because he hasn't done anything transcend- transcendental yet. Yeah. Does that make sense? And, and I'm with you there, but like, here's how I broke it down is if you're an Ohio state fan, who would you trade Ryan day for across the college football coaching landscape? Maybe Lincoln Riley, but to me, that's a trade-off. I, I would, I would put Ryan day above him. I think it's a downgrade. Okay. Big 12, nobody. The uh, the ACC, the only one that's even in the conversation is Dabo. And that's debatable. I, 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 don't, I don't think Ohio State fans would trade Ryan Day for, for Dabo. Then you go to the SEC. Saban is the only clear-cut, okay, you know, definitely better. Even, even with Kirby Smart, I, I feel like it's close. I mean, Kirby's won a national championship. Like, that's my thing. I don't know if you can definitively come up with a coach that Ohio State fans would trade Ryan Day for other than uh, Nick Saban, and and he's seven years old. Okay, great point. I certainly take that point, but that's at Ohio State. Who would you take at Northwestern above Pat Fitzgerald? That's a different topic. I mean, it's a good point. So I'm I'm not saying you're wrong. I would take take Ryan Day over – at Northwestern over Pat Fitzgerald. Can, I would not. I, I would take Pat Fitzgerald. Here's, I don't, here's what I would say to that. Um, I don't think that Pat Fitzgerald could do at Ohio State what Ryan Day is doing. I'm also not sure that Ryan Day could do at Northwestern what Pat Fitzgerald is doing. Man, I got to think about that. It's, it's a heck of a conversation. I, let me ask you this. Do you think Northwestern's offense is going to look better next year if Ryan Day is calling the plays and developing and designing the plays? Yes, but is their defense going to look as good? They looked pretty bad last year. Well, okay, I, I'm from 15 years of data. Their defensive coordinator is gone. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I would take Ryan Day over Pat Fitzgerald. Okay, I'm not I, saying. I think, 
he, the thing to me about Ryan Day, Pat Fitzgerald tends to get the most out of his recruits and they're not great recruits. What do you, what happens if you give Ryan Day Pat Fitzgerald's recruits? That's what I'm asking. That, that, that's a great point. Here, here's what I think. I think you're going to get some more creative play designs. And I think you're going to see a little bit more out of the offense. Now you might have some more spectacular losses perhaps, but that is the respect I have for Ryan day's offensive mind. And I mean, like he, he got, he got kind of dragged by a couple people and you look back, you like, who did he get dragged? Losses against Clemson where they got screwed. They got screwed in that mm-hmm. game and Michigan. Okay. Own up to the Michigan, but that was a good Michigan team to beat you. Literally the only, to me, the only nasty loss was at home versus Oregon last year. That's, that's it. Like to me for like bad loss, like Michigan is a painful loss, but it's not a, a bad loss. Like that's it. That's all we're talking about since he's been there. Like, he is knocking on the door to being the top two, three or four coaches. Like it seems like Lincoln Riley would get ranked ahead of Ryan day consistently. And I, I don't know if I agree with that. I I think I'd rather have Ryan day. Well, I'll take Ryan day over Lincoln Riley for sure. But, you know, I'm not saying you guys are wrong about, Day being better than Fitzgerald, but you're wrong about Day being better than Fitzgerald. Uh, It's just what I'm saying. All right, so that is a perfect point. We will give the top uh, number one through 14. Number one, Ohio State's Ryan Day. Number two, Michigan's Jim Harbaugh. Number three, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz. Number four, Wisconsin's Paul Chris. Number five, Pat Fitzgerald. Number six, James Franklin. Number seven, P.J. Fleck. Number eight, Mel Tucker. Number nine, Jeff Brom. Number 10, Tom Allen. Number 11, Greg Schiano, number 12, Brett Bielema, number 13, Mike Loxley, and number 14, Scott Frost. This brings us into the very last segment. The coaches, now we're combining the rankings along with the food a little bit. The coach that you feel the best or worst about, this was, you could do one or the other, okay? The best or worst about as compared to how they were, they're viewed on the national media. I'm cheating. I'm going to go first. I'm cheating because he's not even a head coach anymore. I just wanted one last chance to bitch. Okay. Uh, uh, Gary Patterson used to be TCU, TCU's coach. Jeffrey the Greek, your boy, Jeffrey the Greek, starting in, I think, 2018, definitely 2019. I would see Gary Patterson in the top 10 ranked coaches. Then he maybe would slip to like 11 or 12. And the whole time I was on Twitter saying, why is Gary Patterson ranked this high? I, I, I had called it and said he was a overranked coach. He was great for TCU. He deserves a statue, all of that jazz. He was habitually overranked. And then you know who wound up agreeing with me? TCU, because they wound up firing him last year. And it was, and it surprised apparently everybody but me. Then, to just prove my point on how warped this whole situation was, he goes to Texas and throws the horns up with a recruit. That is disgusting. You would never see Urban Meyer go to Michigan and call himself a Michigan man. You would never see Kirk Ferentz go to Iowa State. And, 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 and like 
it is disgusting that that Gary Patterson left. He is TCU. Go any. You don't need the money, brother. Go anywhere but Texas and throw the horns up. That was gross. I lost a lot of respect for Gary Patterson. This was my last chance to to say what I say. And there you go. There's my coach. Okay, so this is outside Big Ten. Yes. Oh, okay. So yes. I, I'm sorry. I prepared Big Ten, but I I know my answer. Jimbo Fisher. I just don't. I don't get the love. I've never understood the love. He's got great players all the time. He underachieves every single year. Okay, you have to give him credit for winning at Florida State. He won because he had a generational quarterback. You have to give him credit for recruiting that quarterback. But when he hasn't had that quarterback, what has he done? Literally, like. Give me one accomplishment when he was hasn't had Jameis Winston. I, I this guy is the most overrated coach that I can remember in my lifetime. But you see here, now, now, now what you got to do? You got to you got to think about it. Right? When you got the coach, you got the player, you got the top three zone. So he saw the three zone and he went on the cover twos. He thought it was the cover man, and that's what's going on. That's that, that's what's that's what the Jimbo pitch. Was, I, I, was, I, that, was that a pretty good Jimbo off the top off the top of my head? Pretty good. And by the way, it's going to get worse because he had one of the best recruiting oh. classes in history, yeah. and he's going to f it up. We know that. I, I think that Kurt's uh, answer is the correct answer. Um, however, I went a different direction. I went with the coach that I feel like most people hate, but I actually like. I'm a big Pat Narduzzi fan. Um, and I don't know that, I mean, he's won some big games at Pitt. He just led him to an ACC championship this year. I personally like the fact that he doesn't give a shit about what he says. He just wants to, he's going to say what's on his mind. And to me, like, if you were to tell me who the head coach of Pitt was, like, I would say Pat Narduzzi. I think he's the perfect head coach at Pitt. But a lot of Big Ten people seem to not like his brashness or like his attitude or think he's, um, not a great coach. I think he's a perfect fit at Pitt. So I went a different direction. I'm going with Pat Narduzzi. So Dustin Schutte, managing editor at Saturday Tradition, a Big Ten specific entity, picks Pat Narduzzi, who's probably universally hated by more Big Ten fans than anybody else with right. Penn State, Michigan State. There's a little bit of like Iowa and, and Michigan as well. Like, what? Like that was ballsy, DS. You just you just kind of went for it, man. I, I appreciate that. He's the only guy that came to mind that I was like, you know what? I actually I was hoping, honest to God, when the the Michigan State job came open, I was hoping he would take that job. Uh, obviously, I think they probably made the right hire with Mel Tucker, but uh, I just love Pat Narduzzi's willing to say whatever the hell he wants. I figured you would go with Mike Leach because he's a national. Ah, never mind. Right. Oh God! And oh, you thought you guys both thought I was going to go with Iowa State's Matt Campbell, which I, I do. I do believe is overrated, but I honestly believe the blooms off the rose a little bit, and I've actually noticed that a little bit on how people have talked about him. So, agree or? <sighs> I think the way he has referred to himself in the third person the last couple, I don't know if it was just last year, but multiple times, like I think that turned a lot of people off of Matt Campbell. Well, I think I'm not sure about this, but I've heard that mouth breathers do that regularly. <laughs> it's like a common thing amongst mouth breathers. And they're typically wearing black from head to toe, even if your school colors are cardinal and gold. But anyways, I digress. So we should probably put a bow on this one, right? Hey, we went long. 
because we're having fun, right? There's Absolutely. no shame in that. No. Uh, Diaz, you got any parting parting words here? Uh, this was always a blast, or it's always a blast. I had another blast tonight, and um, yeah, I mean, I hope we can do it again sometime. Thank you guys as always for having me on, and I hope that people that follow me will will listen to this podcast and start to follow you guys, and I hope the people that uh, listen to this podcast will start to follow me because I think we have a lot of the same following, a lot of the same thoughts, and I like to think we both produce a lot of good content. I, I, I got nothing to disagree with. He didn't plug himself, but I'll plug him. SaturdayTradition.com. Dustin Shooting. It's the good stuff. All right. I am Jeffrey the Great. I'm Big Kurt. It's been the Eyes on Big Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.